Welcome in, everybody. Episode 42 of Four Score the Podcast. Andrew May alongside Rob Jufrey with you. We're recording on Wednesday, January 6th of 2021. So we have 2020 in the rearview mirror. Hopefully things get a lot better for everybody this year. I know it was a tough 365 days for everyone with the pandemic and everything associated with it, but hopefully better things are on the horizon. And Rob and I will banter and talk about some sports to get you through whatever you're going through. So the NFL regular season is over, and we have the postseason coming up. The Giants are not a part of it, and the Jets are not a part of it. So we'll break down. We'll kind of give a season summary of both the Giants and the Jets and break down where we think those franchises should be headed Moving forward, we'll also get into the postseason games that are going to be played this weekend. we got a full slate, three games on Saturday, three games on Sunday, so a lot to break down and look forward to. The Knicks are really impressing people as the NBA season has gotten started, and the Nets are, you know, not meeting expectations thus far, but that was expected. There's a little bit of an adjustment period going on there, and that's fine, so we'll break down both of those teams, and hockey training camp is open, and the regular season's right around the corner, so we have a lot of stuff to get to. We'll obviously start with the football since it's fresh on everybody's mind, so the Giants miss out. They miss out on the postseason, and we knew coming into last weekend that there was an outside shot for them to make the playoffs. They needed to win against Dallas, which they did, and then they needed the Philadelphia Eagles to beat the Washington football game, uh, Washington football team in a Sunday night game. It was flexed to Sunday night, and what happened in that game, I I guess we'll start with that because I think that that is probably more important on a wider scope than just the Giants. What the Eagles did on Sunday night, and I'm sure you've heard about it, the Eagles took out Jalen Hurts and put in Nate Sudfeld in the fourth quarter of a game in which they were only trailing by three, and they put Sudfeld in, and it was clear that Sudfeld does not belong in the NFL. I mean, he was atrocious. So uh, effectively, without coming out and admitting it, the Eagles tanked the game for a better draft pick. Now, by losing that game, they go from nine to six in the first round of the upcoming draft. So they they tanked to better themselves going forward. And some people agree with that. But I think what Doug Peterson did is an embarrassment to the sport of football. It's an embarrassment to sports as a whole. Now, listen, I'm not a Giants fan. And I personally don't think that the Giants have a kick coming. Because the Giants are not owed anything by the Eagles. The Giants had an opportunity to control their own destiny in sole possession of first place a few weeks ago, and they lost three games in a row when they were in the driver's seat. So they no longer control their own destiny, and they don't have the luxury of winning games and only having to worry about controlling what they can control. They needed help, and the Eagles did not owe the Giants anything. They, they didn't. Give them the help. They didn't need to give them the help, and that's fine. But I'm not talking about this from a Giants perspective because the Giants went 6-10. and If you wanted to make the playoffs, you could have won one of those other 10 games. But what the Eagles did was they made it a mockery and made an embarrassment of the sport. Now, teams are going to tank. We know that, right? The Houston Astros tanked for years, and it paid off for them, right? In the long haul, it paid off. They ended up winning a championship. They got a lot of high draft picks and replenished their farm system. The Philadelphia 76ers had tanked for a while, but again, there's no guarantee of getting the number one pick in the NBA because it's a lottery system. But this isn't getting the number one overall pick here. You're moving from nine to six. And I know I use this analogy when talking off the air to you and Tommy Loughran, Rob. Moving from nine to six is not going from a 98 Corolla to a brand new Lamborghini. You're moving up three spots. With an incompetent front office who let Justin Jefferson slip away last season by taking Jalen Rager ahead of him, who was a bust and a half. 
So I wouldn't even have confidence in the front office as an Eagles fan for them to make that selection and get it right. But what Doug Peterson did is embarrassing. If you wanted to start Nate Sudfeld from the very beginning, no one would have batted an eye. But you started Jalen Hurts and let him play for three quarters, and you were in a position to compete and win a football game. And all 53 guys on that roster went to war with their brothers for 45 minutes to have that stripped from them. Listen, the Eagles and Washington football team, that's a divisional rivalry. I'm sure those players would have loved to have played spoiler. And they played their asses off for three quarters to put themselves in a position to play spoiler. And Peterson decides to make the move and break, bring Nate Sudfeld into the game. And they virtually had no chance of even getting a first down with Sudfeld in that game. They effectively, what Peterson did was basically say, screw all you guys. I want a better draft pick. My job is safe and I want a better draft pick. It's a spit and a slap in the face to everybody who competed for the first 45 minutes. I don't know how Doug Peterson thinks that he can walk into that locker room and look any of those players in the eye anymore and think he has any sort of control. What kind, what kind of message is that sending? Yeah, it was a meaningless game, and I get that it was better long-term for the Eagles to lose that game than it was to win that game. But the players don't care about the draft picks. Hell, if you would have just told the players that that's the direction you were going to take, some of them wouldn't have even suited up. They wouldn't have even wanted to play, or they wouldn't have tried. Because they're putting their bodies on the line each and every play in the most violent sport that there is. All for you to just say, screw you, I don't care about your effort, and I don't care about your energy. I'm doing what I think is best for me. It's a selfish move by Peterson. And like I said, the Giants don't have a kick coming here because they went 6-10. and 10. They didn't deserve to be in the playoffs either. Okay, They were in a unique opportunity to make a playoff push because the NFC East was historically bad this season. But they don't have a complaint with what the Eagles did because it didn't benefit them. They can certainly complain because they think it's an embarrassment to the sport too, which it is. But as far as what the Eagles did being something that gypped the Giants of a playoff spot, I don't buy that. So I'm not coming from that angle at all. But that's embarrassing what Doug Peterson did. And I'd be surprised if any of those players in the locker room would ever want to suit up for a guy like that ever again. Because that's embarrassing. Him and the entire, the entire Eagle organization should be ashamed of themselves. And I've heard a lot of things saying that that wasn't a Peterson decision. It was a directive coming from the front office. Well, you know what? Shame on the front office for giving that directive. And shame on Peterson for moving forward with it. Because he could have easily said, listen, I can't coach that way when these guys are giving me 110% effort. I can't do that. He could have easily done it. But he didn't because he's gutless. And that was pathetic from Doug Peterson. Well, all you had to do was just... Uh was just see the reaction of um, Eagle players, ex-Eagle players like Seth Joyner, you know, coming out outspoken about what the Eagles did. And he is a know, saint my, in the city of Philadelphia. My Miles Sanders yesterday coming out and saying that, you know, basically they were shocked to a man. They were shocked. In fact, there were a couple of defensive plays that had to be held back from D Doug Peterson to going up to him. You know, look to a man, every giant player, never bitched and moaned about what the Eagles did. What they said was when it was happening, they were shocked. And who wouldn't be as a competitor? Because all you ask for is a chance. Now, yes, I know the Giants were 6-10. and 10. They didn't deserve to be there. But did the, did the Washington football team deserve to be there any much more than the Giants? No, they didn't either. They did not either. 
Right, so, but Washington, Washington put themselves in a position where they controlled their own destiny. The Giants were in that matter. position it, and they it let does, it slip away. It doesn't matter because to a man, the Giants are a better team than Washington and the Giants beat Washington twice. Not that that means anything, but to a man, they're a better team. And I'll tell you I, the I truth, could, I could agree they, with that. They would, they, would, they would give a better game against the Buccaneers than the, than the Washington team will. I'll guarantee you that. Guarantee you that. Alex Smith had no business playing in that game the other night. No business because he was – God awful horrendous. God bless him. I know what he went through, but you got to call a spade a spade here. He was God awful horrendous. And I've told you a million times, if you're going to be on the field, I don't care what your situation is as far as injuries. If you're on the field, there's no excuses then. No excuses. Yep, you'll be held God bless high standard because you're healthy enough to play. That's it. You're healthy enough to play. And I'll, I don't think Alex Smith was, even with the calf injury, no less what he went through with his surgeries. And I understand what Ron Rivera did. And I'm telling you right now, Andrew, in my own opinion, and obviously it's not fact-based, it's just my own opinion, Doug Peterson, who, let's not forget, coached Alex Smith in Kansas City, as well as Ron Rivera, okay, were very, very, very well-respected Rivera and Smith in 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 the NFL, especially after what Smith went through and especially what Rivera went through. Part of me was almost Doug Peterson rewarding them. And that's that's how I'll feel, and nobody's going to change my opinion on that. Nobody. And I don't think this is a directive from from ownership to Doug Peterson to tell him to go from nine to six because all you had to do was listen to what Joe Judge said, and Joe Judge made the perfect speech. He sent out the perfect message, and he started it off with, listen, we had 16 opportunities to make the playoffs. That's on us. So let's put that narrative away that Joe Judge was basically whining about what happened here. He was not. Basically what he was saying is, hey, we're asking these guys to play injured in games, to show up to practice injured, to practice injured, to go through this whole pandemic with the corona, to not see families, to miss your wife's birthdays, to miss your kids' birthdays, to quarantine yourself around Thanksgiving and around the holidays. You're asking them for all this. You're asking these players for all this. and then." This is how you handle the last game of the year? That's how you handle it? Listen, you know I'm a diehard Giant fan here. And I, I wasn't even that mad that night. I, have, I was getting text messages, Andrew, left, right, and sideways from friends, family. Everybody was ticked off. And I think part of me just wanted to kind of talk myself off the, off the ledge because if I really would have got into it, I would have got really, really pissed. But I said, hey, okay, we're a 6-10 and 10 team. We should have won one more game. That's what it comes down to. The Eagles owe us nothing. They don't owe us anything. But right. you do you do owe the NFL, and you do owe the fans, in which a game was flexed. That game was flexed to Sunday night because they, they, they knew it would mean something to either the Giants or to Dallas or to Washington. And any fan base that comes out and speak against the Giants and say, oh, what are you whining for? What are you? Yeah, well, if that was your team, let's see how you'd react. If that was Dallas and their fans, let's see how they'd react. So, look, I tell you the truth, you could read it all. There's Twitter, there's all the all social media accounts. There's no giant fans that were whining about what happened. People were just pissed off. And you know what? NFL players, ex-NFL players were all speaking out. Non-giant fans were all speaking about, about how the way the Eagles handled this entire situation. That was a disgrace. And I'm telling you something right now. What needs to happen here is the NFL needs to take actions. And, you know, I started this a few years ago in, in, my, 
in my baseball league that I run where I don't reward the last place team with the number one pick the following year. You know who I, re I reward? I reward the, the first team that came out of the money. That's who I reward. And that's what the NFL needs to do. You want to stop this tanking? You want to stop teams doing what, like what the Eagles have done, what the Jaguars were doing clearly, and all this tanking? Here's what you do. You reward the number one overall pick to the first to, to the best team that finished out of the playoffs. Downward. You get my drift, Andrew? Yeah, no, and I've I've heard I've heard that solution. Why, 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 why are we rewarding mediocrity and dis and disgrace? Why are we why are we re rewarding that? For what reason? Yeah, what well, you reason? know what the, the, the narrative out. the narrative behind that, which is it is it's a garbage narrative, and I'll disprove it. Is you want to give the worst team in the league the chance to get the best overall player in the draft because they want more parity in the league. But that's garbage. All it's doing, it's rewarding teams or attempting to reward teams who stink and can't get out of their own way and are dysfunctional. And as exactly. long as they have the personnel in place that are that are creating the dysfunction, they'll always be dysfunctional. How many times have the Knicks had a top 10 pick in the draft, right? They always seem to come out at, at the short end of the lottery. But you could get a great player in the first 10 picks of a draft. And they can't get it done because they've had incompetence at the top. The Jets have been incompetent for years because there's incompetence at the top of the organization. So rewarding these teams is not creating any set of any sort of parity. It's not doing it at all. I've heard that solution that you just came with come up that you just came up with. I've heard that before. And you know what? You would create a league in which Every single team is fighting tooth and nail until the very end. You'd see a That's lot of right. teams making moves at the trade deadline. Even when they're out of it, you wouldn't see teams selling off pieces going into a season or selling off guys on expiring contracts. Everyone would be battling until the very, very end. If you want right. to eliminate the people embarrassing the sport like the Eagles did this weekend, that's the way to do it. I'm sorry. That's the way to do it. Now, what's and parity? I, and I don't think, what's what's, I, I really what's don't parity know. here? What's, pa what's parity here? Is, is my solution parity? Or the solution where teams are just are just completely tanking the season parity. What's parity? To me, parity is every team having to be on the same playing field. And if you want that number one pick, well, then you goddamn better be playing your best players and play your best football every single week to Wait, obtain that better pick. And I'm telling you right now, what you do is you put you put the worst teams on the back end of the draft end. And I'm not saying 31, 32. I'm saying just as far as non-playoff teams. So the last place team gets the 14th pick. The second to last place team gets the 13th pick, 12th, so on and so forth. That's what you do. You want to create parity? That's how you create parity. You want games on an even on an even level? That's how you create that. And you'll 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 forget the nonsense that we've seen. Throughout this, throughout the years, and especially in week 16 and week 17, especially what we've seen with the Eagles, because to me, again, it wasn't enough for me to say, okay, the Eagles are going to go from nine to six. Really? Like that makes a difference? Like that really makes a difference? It doesn't make a difference. There was something else going on there, and maybe the Eagles just despise the Giants. And again, that's fine. I don't care about that. I expect them to. We despise the Eagles. I despise everything about Philadelphia. Okay, so the hell with it. Who cares? It was what it was. But that was just an NFL disgrace what was put on display there. Where you put a guy where you said, well, I wanted to evaluate Nate. You know, he took some snaps and he deserves it. And he, he's been on your team for four years. The guy's thrown two passes. He sucks. 
You know he sucks. Everybody knows he sucks. And if you want to evaluate somebody, then how about evaluating the quarterback that might have to take the $40 million quarterback's job next year? How about evaluating him well, a little bit more? That's that's what I brought up the other day. As like as if they've seen enough from Jalen Hurts. You've seen him play three games. If you're an Eagles fan going into this offseason, what would give you more confidence, right? Sitting in the boat that you're in right now, only seeing him for three games? Or would you have more confidence in him if he was able to orchestrate a fourth quarter comeback the other night and win that game? You'd have a yeah, ton no, more confidence in him if he was able to come back the again, other weekend. And again, and it goes to my theory. This was not about going from nine to six in a draft. It wasn't enough. It was not enough. From nine to six is not enough. I am telling you right now, I, I, I feel this way, and I'll, nobody will ever change my mind. Because of Peterson's relationship with Alex Smith and because of the fact that Ron Rivera is so revered, and he was even prior to him having the cancer and everything he had to go through this season, and God bless him. I'm glad the man's healthy. And you know what? It is a good story for Alex Smith and Ron Rivera. Don't get me wrong. But Doug Peterson somehow, some way, took it upon himself to say, I'm going to reward these guys, and I'm going to put the worst quarterback in the NFL on the field for the next quarter and a half in which we're down by only three. And his defense played the ass off. That's, yeah. that's the crazy thing. The defense, defense that's been giving up 31 points a game over the past three weeks. It, it, was, it was an abomination to put that guy in the game. A complete abomination. You know what he looked like when he went into that game? It looked like... It looked like a grade school kid playing kill the carrier in the park with a bunch of professional athletes it was, it running running for his life. Yeah, That's what it, it looked like. Now, it here's, here's, a, here's a different opinion, and I've only heard this from one person in particular, and I know you said that you think, you know, you have a, a feeling of why you think that they did it, but think about this one, and I'm not saying I agree with it or disagree with it. I just want to get your take on it. The only person I've heard this from is Steve Young. He said that as it unfolded, he thinks the reasoning behind it is because Wentz's contract is immovable and they want to try to get that relationship back on track. And if they would have kept Hurts in that game and he would have orchestrated a fourth quarter comeback, there would be a legitimate quarterback conversation and the uh, Eagles did not want that to happen. That's bullshit. First of all, first of all, it's it, I don't believe that, that's 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 nah. to me it's a stretch. It's it's a very long stretch. It's something I wouldn't even give credence to, to be honest with you. First of all, again, we know that Wentz is unmovable. We know that. We know that with his contract over the next two years. We get that. Secondly, it's not like Wentz is just a bum, for God's sake. And it's not like, again, and I go back to what I said weeks ago about anointing guys right away. Jalen Hurts did not play well in this game. He didn't. He didn't play well. He didn't play well against Dallas either. Yeah. He didn't. But he was he was the sole reason why that they scored two touchdowns, though. Yes, he was, but he ran them in. He, he ran them in. He was seven of twenty for seventy-two yards. Let's let's you know, let's let's look at that part of it. He's a quarterback. He's a quarterback first. Yeah, I understand. He ran two touchdowns in. Okay, wonderful. But he was still seven of twenty for seventy-two yards. So again, we are we're anointing a guy because he gave the Eagles a shot in the arm the first game that he played. The game against Dallas, yeah, he had him out to a lead, but after that, he was god-awful. He was not good in that game. Turned the ball over. The game against Washington the other night, he was not that good. So, you look, there's a reason why teams were, were, were shocked that the, that the Eagles took him so early in the second round. Now, he's a hell of an athlete. Could he develop into a good quarterback? Sure, why not? Yeah, I think the kid can. Why not? But let's not go with the anointing once again. 
We're quick to anoint guys after a game or two. My God, everybody take a step back. Well, everybody that's... forgets Carson Wentz was an MVP two, two and a half years ago. He was but an you... MVP until he got hurt. That's the sole reason why I think that you had to keep Hurts in that game because you don't know what you have yet. And you'll get more clarity as you see him play more games and play in more big pressure situations. And they didn't allow him to do that. So not no. only do you create an, an embarrassing situation for your whole entire organization, but you go into next season with not as much clarity in the quarterback position. So it's a lose-lose. No. I don't care that they they went from 9 to 6. Now listen, I've heard people say this, that Jalen Hurts was unhappy when he came out of that game. If the Eagles draft Devontae Smith at number 6 and he turns out to be a bona fide number 1 receiver and Hurts is the starting quarterback moving forward then, yeah, I get it. He'll be just fine. But we don't know what that quarterback situation is like right now, and you need to get as much reps as possible. Rob, we've been saying it since the very beginning of the season. The more meaningful games that a young Giants team plays, the better it is for their future. The same rings true for a kid like Jalen Hurts. The more pressure-packed situations, the more the more situations you put him in where his back is up against the wall and you give him a chance to learn and develop and grow into a decent quarterback the better he's going to get. And you robbed him of that. You robbed your team of that. And you made yourself look like an absolute embarrassment on national television with everybody and their mother and sister watching the game. Look, so Andrew, I I'd hope be, it was I'd worth be shocked. it. I'd be shocked if Wentz was not the starting quarterback of the Eagles come week one next season. I'd be shocked. Because, yeah, again, Here's he's thing, making though. a hell of a lot of money. And he's still, you know, Jalen Hurts still has a lot to prove here. Jalen Hurts was not a very good passer in college. He wasn't. Right. He was a hell of an that. athlete. Okay, so it would it would be a shock to me if if he if he uh, Wentz was not the starting quarterback here in Week One come next season. I'd be surprised unless something dramatically happens. Again, you're not moving him. I I, I just don't see it. How are you going to take on seventy five million dollars in dead cap space, especially well, especially when you don't know where the hell the salary cap is going to be for next season? Nobody knows. It's, it's still up in the air. Well, you can't you, – you, there, there's an out after this season. So this season he definitely can't be moved. There's an out in that contract next season where I believe he only counts for about $19 million in dead cap money, so that's when they can make a move. But I don't think so. I, I, not according to spot track. After the 2021 season, there's an out. or may, Unless it's 2022, but there no, is an it's out. It's, it's spot track has it as seven as, – as I think close to $51 million. If you look up his contract, and I'm going to look it up again right now because I looked it up a day or two ago. Um, uh, I'm going to tell you right now his here his contract right now here here's his his dead cap space. Let's see, that's a cap hit you're talking about, but his dead cap is 77 million after this season 2020, 2021 it's 59 million, 2022 it's 24 million. Right, so that's the that's the potential out year, twenty four million. That's the first year where it's manageable if you were to move him, as far as the dead. But cap again, you don't know where the salary cap's going to be the next couple of years. Well, because right, that that brings know, up some more uncertainty right, too. Right, it's uncertainty with what's going on. You don't know if there's going to be fans in the stands come next season. You know what? I think that's malpractice, is, though. If if Hertz gives you the best chance to win, then I don't think you should be worried about the money. And that's what I think. You need to do what's well, in the best you could interest say, of you your could team. Say that. You could say that, but let me ask you a question. When was the last time you seen a 30 to $40 million quarterback sitting on the bench? I understand that, but look at what happened with the Eagles this season, right? I'm, I still feel this way, that the reason that they made, to, made the move to go to Jalen Hurts 
was to try to inject some life and win a couple games because the division was still within grasp. Yes, of course. And I think that's the same reason that the that the Washington football team went from Haskins to Alex Smith. Listen, this kid is not going to win us ball games. He doesn't have it right now. Whether he'll ever get it, we don't know. But he doesn't have it right now. Let's make a move. And that's the same thing that the Eagles did. They put when they put Hurts into the game because they thought that Hurts gave them the best chance to win when they made the move from Wentz to Hurts. That's why they did it. Well, so they were to just me, looking to energize. They were looking for a bit of energy and a bit of a cattle prod in their ass. Yeah, and but you know Wentz what? If, was- if Hurts if Hertz goes 3-1 and one down the stretch to finish the season and ends the season orchestrating a fourth-quarter comeback, whether he does it from the pocket passing or whether he does it with his legs, that really doesn't matter because he's the quarterback and he's the signal caller. If he were to go 3-1 and one down the stretch and win you that game the other night, I don't care how much money Wentz is making. I think it's a legitimate discussion as who's yeah, going to be the go, quarterback. If he goes three and one and doesn't play great, I, I mean he's three and one. Okay, wonderful. But again, he's three and one. But you got to see something to it. It's going to give you enough of of a of a cushion to where you could say, all right, this guy could be our starting starting quarterback next year. In my opinion, again, he's not going to be your starting quarterback next year. I don't care what anybody says. I have not seen enough of him whatsoever. And I don't even know if that second half would have given me enough to say, okay, he's our guy next year. I still don't know that. You, you, I mean, listen, it's it's not it's not enough of a, of a product yet. But In you know what? That's say, my point, Rob. You said you don't know if the second half would have done that for you. That's because no, they took have. him out of the game. But you would have known for sure had you left him in the game and see how things played out. Well, you would have yeah. known for sure whether he showed you something. Yeah, or but not. just just because he plays well in that second half and maybe orchestrates a comeback and he plays well, it doesn't all of a sudden give you the chance to say I'm anointing him as my starter next year. He's going in as the favorite. Carson Wentz is going to have to beat him out. There's there's not enough there. Carson Wentz has a background at least. Listen, he hasn't played well in the last year and a half, Carson Wentz. But you know what? The Eagles really haven't played well. Period. It's it's been a product of both, not only just no, Carson Wentz, team. but the Eagle team itself. Yeah, it's not a good team. It's not that good of a team. It's not that good of a team. And I'll be honest with you, Doug Peterson is the worst guy at this point right now for Carson Wentz. I'll be honest with you, he's the worst kind of quarterback. He's the worst kind of coach to have for a guy like Carson Wentz right now. Because you need somebody to scale back the offense and run the ball a little bit more. You know, use your tight end. Use a, you know, they're not doing that. Use a little play action. Carson, Carson, Doug Peterson is a detriment to Carson Wentz's career right now. A detriment. So, but, you know, we'll, we'll move on to the Giants because this isn't an Eagle podcast right now. And it sounded like one, but, you know, we said what we had to say about them. So, look, you know, again, you know, with the Giants and, you know, I, I read some some articles the last couple of days and some some journalists, writers, they just don't get it sometimes, man. They just don't get it. Oh, again, and I and I stressed this from the very beginning of this of the NFL week one, prior to week one on this podcast. All I wanted to see was progress. Did I get it? Yes, I got it. I got it. You know, you 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 got this narrative out there with some of these journalists out there that 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 are putting words and taking things out of context from the from guys like Joe Judge, Wellington, uh, um, John Mara. Uh, Dave Gettleman, for what reason? I don't know. They all say the same thing. Look, we're not happy with the record. We're not happy not making the playoffs. We're not happy we're up here having to talk about a losing season again. But we made progress. And for a team over the last five years that have lost the most games in the NFL, that's what you're looking for, a stepping stone. That's all, just a stepping stone. 
And they got it in spades, to be honest with you. Because right now, they got a top-notch defense. This wasn't a defense that played over their heads. There's talent on this defense. And I'm sure they're going to be signing Leonard Williams, re-signing him. I'm sure that's going to happen. I don't think they're going to let that guy go. Well, at this point, but if they, you don't, then that, that trade is an albatross. And, and, right. It's an albatross. But, you know, they, they're, gonna, they're going to resign Leonard Williams. I don't think they're going to let him go because as much as they need Leonard Williams, I think Leonard Williams needs the Giants, especially with Patrick Graham, who, I, I, you know, I honestly gave up, you know, he gave up uh, head, any sort of head coaching interviews because the Giants signed into an extension. So he's going to be with the Giants at least another year, which is terrific news because – he did a terrific job with the Giants in their defense this year. And Gettleman so, is coming back. And Gettleman's coming back, which I'm surprised. I didn't think he would be. But you know what? He hit a home run this year in free agency and the draft, and that's what saved him because 2018, he did not. You know, it was terrible. But, you know, he had a home run in the draft with just pretty much every one of his picks made the team, and they all contributed in different ways. And every one of his free agent signings, from Blake Martinez to Bradbury, well, and Logan Ryan were just, and Graham Gano were just A plus, A plus. And now he's given them something to build on next year. The offensive line, still a work in progress, but gotten better. Now you see some pieces there, at least. There's some pieces there. Now you can supplement that with the free agency, maybe, or supplement that in the draft. We'll see. But they have some pieces there now. So look, there's progress. Are they proud of being 6-10? and 10? No. But you know what? Again, I went back to what I said from the very get-go, Andrew, when you were killing him, and I told you he's building a culture and an identity, and that's exactly what Joe Judge did. He built a culture and an identity for this team, period. Because now you read most Giants to a man, I want to be a Giant for life, Blake Martinez, Brad Bradbury all said it. Even Leonard Williams said he loved. He wants to be back here. Loves the culture here. Loves exactly what Joe Judge was doing here. So you have plenty of Giants now that love what they're seeing. Logan Ryan too signed a three-year extension. Wants to be here. You know you have guys that want to be here now, which is something that you didn't have. And you have a culture. There's a toughness amongst these Giants now. You've seen the way they played. I was proud as hell that they just won that Dallas game. And whatever happened that night happened. But you know what? They had to come out. They had lost seven straight games to Dallas. They needed to come out, and they needed to beat them, and they played well. Now, Daniel Jones, again, all right, he's a question mark. He was a bit uneven in that first half. I thought he missed some throws. Of course, once again, shitbag Evan Ingram, of course, had to drop two balls on him. One of them cost him points right out of his hands. Two balls completely out of his hands. One of them caused an interception and a touchdown for Dallas. Wasn't a pick six but it's short in the field for them. So they got to do something with Evan Ingram here because it's just not working with that guy. But the second half, Daniel Jones looked pretty good. He looked pretty good. He did. He drew a beautiful ball to Dante Pettis down the middle on a post. Pettis made a terrific catch and an adjustment on it. Touchdown, boom, beautiful throw. He he did some good things in this game, Daniel Jones, which, which gave me a little bit more light on him, gave me a little bit more light. So we'll see. Year three, once again, we spoke about Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield. That's going to be the big steps. Get him a number one wide receiver in the draft. Get him another receiver in free agency. Bring back Barkley, and let's see what we got here now. And this is going to be a critical year for Daniel Jones coming up, but he deserves a third year, and he's going to get it. Yeah, and he's going to get the third year, but that's this third year is now put up or shut up. 
because yes, presumably they they will flood him with a little bit more talent, right? They will yeah. go get a wide receiver, whether it's in the draft, yeah. whether it's free agency, whether it's both. You will have an offensive line that had two rookies contributing for most of the season that are only going to grow and get better. You do have your number two overall pick in Saquon Barkley from 2018 coming back. Now, he's coming back off an ACL injury, and it's a little bit uncertain how explosive he's going to be, but you have your number one running back coming back. So you're going to have enough talent to be able to make strides. And again, for a team that is not flooded with star-studded talent, all you're asking for is making strides. And in year three, if you don't see those strides with an improved roster around him, then I think it's time to make the move. And I do think, and I, I will kind of make a little bit of a, uh, not so, so much of a bold prediction, but just a prediction in general. If it turns out that Daniel Jones does not perform well in year three and he does regress, I think that will be the axe that breaks Dave Gettleman's tenure in New York. Oh, 100%, because this is what he's, you know, his his entire uh, uh, tenure as a GM for the Giants over the last three, four years now, it'll be four years, uh, will be destroyed now. That's it, because that's what yeah. they're banking in on, that pick. Because, honestly, it's bad enough. He missed on Barkley, and I've told you this before. I was not crazy about that pick. Yes, he's an extremely talented kid. He's a great kid. You know, he wants to win. I get all that. Again, I was looking back at some old giant. Uh, um, uh, um, they have a, a show on MSG called Giant Chronicles. I was looking at some of their past Super Bowls, and they always had that big running back, that big bruising running back, whether it be, you know, J Joe Morris wasn't a, a big in stature guy, but he was big, like fire hydrant big. And O.J. Anderson and guys like that and Rodney Hampton and and the Brandon Jacobs and Ahmad Bradshaw's of the world, physical backs, physical backs. And Barkley is not a physical back. Once again, I've said it a million times, he's the guy that looks to hit a home run every single down, yep. which is sometimes a detriment. So and you know, Goldman is a little more physical, but he's not big. He's not he's not big, Goldman, but he's the in-between tackles runner, which in my opinion, that's what I prefer. Right. That's my kind of guy. Uh, uh, that's what uh, that's to me is Northeast football. That to me is powerhouse football. That's what I love to see here. I don't that's like it. to see the ball slung all over the place. That's not, you know, that's not my DNA as far as what I like. Yeah, no, I think uh, to to put it into perspective as to what kind of guy you're looking for, I think you're probably looking for a younger, more explosive version of a guy like Alfred Morris. He doesn't have to be explosive to me. I don't. I don't. He doesn't need to be explosive. He just needs to. He just needs to knock people on their ass for four or five yards. That's it. He needs. He needs to instill their will. You know, Brandon Jacobs wasn't explosive, but Brandon Jacobs knocked people on their ass and he pushed people backwards. At by the time the fourth quarter rolled around, especially in December and cold games, he'd lower his shoulder into the defender's chest, and he'd make them pay a price. He'd wear them down. That's what I'm looking for. I don't need anybody that explosive. Yeah, Alfred Morris, I know what you're saying when he was back in his days in Dallas and Washington. Yeah, you know, he was that sort of guy, Alfred Morris, and I'd have no problem with a back like that. I have zero problem with a back like that. You know, so look, what's going to happen with Barkley? I'm sure he's going to come back healthier than ever. I mean, I, I could see him being like another Adrian Peterson who came out after nine months, Adrian Peterson, had an MVP-type season, actually, after having ACL surgery. You know, it's your dedication, and Barkley's a dedicated kid. So I'm sure he's, you know, he's working his way back, and he's making progress, and he'll certainly be ready for uh, training camp and for week one. I'm sure of that. But, 
you know, look, I, I, I would I would definitely bring in another back, a little bit more physical than what Barkley is sometimes to spell Barkley if I was the Giants. But, you know, that's that's conversation for another day. So, I mean, look, the Giants have some work to do. We know that. But, again, this is the most positive I've been as, as a Giant fan in nine years because now I'm seeing that progress that I was looking for going into the next season. I'm looking forward to it. These past right. few I years, think, I was not. I think after the, the the cycle that you were in is after the last Super Bowl, you started to see some guys decline, and you were hoping you can recapture some past magic. And then you had a team that had no talent at all with no promise for the you had a, You had a team with no talent next to an aging quarterback, so there was no reason to look ahead to the future. Now you finally have a, a, a team that's been infused with youth with a young quarterback who you're hoping is going to continue to make strides. So, listen. I know I killed them, and you acknowledged it before I killed them. I think Joe Judge did a fantastic job in year one, so you're confident knowing that the coach is right. You're confident with Dave Gettleman after the 2019 draft with literally every single one of his picks making contributions and everybody and getting agents. better. Yeah, free agent signings too, you know. And you look at the rest of the division and think about it. We know that we, we acknowledge that the Giants went 6-10, and 10, right, and didn't necessarily deserve – to be a playoff team, but they were in the worst division in football. So as long as they make the appropriate moves and address the areas they need to address and you see a little bit of progress from Daniel Jones, I would argue that the division is the Giants to lose next season. I really would. Well, I would have to think that you're looking at the two worst teams in that division next year, and I don't know what's going to happen draft-wise and and uh, and free agency, is going to be Washington and Philadelphia. And Washington, because they don't even have a quarterback. Right. I don't know if right. Smith is coming back again to play and what sort of a level can he even play at. Well, at and you don't point. know what's gonna you don't know what's gonna happen with, with Dallas and Dak Prescott either. Well, Prescott, I, look, I I'm sure they're gonna have to resign Prescott. They really have no choice there. They have no choice. They're gonna have to resign him, Andrew. They have to. Barring a trade, which we talk, I talked about last week, which was hypothetical, of course, but anything could happen. You never know. Yeah, look, they're going to have to resign the guy. I, I mean, they're going to have to. And their offense will be explosive. Their defense will be a work in progress, though, because they're definitely – although their defensive line is strong, they'll have a strong defensive line. But Giants and Dallas should be the two best teams in that division. Eagles, I think, are going to have a few problems. A, it's going to be quarterback problems. There will be quarterback controversies. B, I still think there'll be there will be residual effects from what Peterson did the other night. I don't care what anybody says. There's, there'll I be agree. residual effects. I this agree. isn't something that you forget because, you know, m most NFL people that are on TV now, whether it be the Boomer Sizes of the world, the Shannon Shops of the world, guys like that, that spoke about this, all said the same thing. There's no way I could look at that guy in a locker room the next time I see him, my coach. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it knowing what he did to us. Well, knowing the sacrifices that we had to give for that season and he – he did that. He did that. Well, you got to think about it this way, too. When you have a coach that makes a decision like that, normally it's the veterans in the room that would be tasked with keeping the locker room together if you have an issue like that. And some of those veterans, you're talking about guys like Jason Kelsey and guys like Zach Ertz who may be cap casualties and might not be on this roster next season. Guys like Brandon Graham, right? So 
you know, who's going to be the, the veteran in that locker room? Who's going to be the captain and the voice in that locker room? It's certainly not going to be the quarterback because we don't even know who the hell no. the quarterback's going to be. The quarterback, Wentz has a pro- – oh, first, do you have two problems now. Wentz has a, had, had a fractured relationship with Peterson after replacing him. And Jalen Hurts the other day was not happy. They were showing clips of him, and if you could read his lips, he looked like he was saying, this ain't right, this ain't right. Yep. And it was clear that he was saying that. Right. Clear as day that he was saying that. Jalen Hurts could not have been happy being removed from that game at all. And why and would he people, be? What people tend to forget is we are not an athlete. We're not athletes here. We're not athletes. We're competitors. We know what it is to compete. But to compete on that sort of level that those guys compete, they don't care if they're 4 and 11, 3 and 12. 2-13, and 1-14, they want to compete. It's the reason why the Jets won out and won games that nobody wanted them to win. Because right. and, you had the, and you had the players coming out after winning the game. A game. Yeah. You had the players coming out after the game saying, you're not a real fan if you were rooting for us to lose. When you, exactly. put, the amount of, when you put the amount of work in to get to That's the position exactly. that these guys are in, there is no days off. There, that's There's a different no level off. of competitiveness when you get to that level. And that's why what Joe Judge said resonated with a lot of people. It resonated. Now, listen, I understand there are, there are teams that sit players down that are going into the playoffs, and I've never believed in doing that because I always believe you played all the way out 16 weeks. And I understand there could be injuries and you don't want to take chances, but to me, you go into the playoffs playing your best football, period. I get it. Right, I, you know I understand that. And I'm not just saying this because I'm a Steelers fan, but the only difference with doing something like that is because you're doing that in the pursuit of winning a championship. Well, yeah, no, I have no problem with that. I, I'm just saying my opinion. I would just right, play right. it out, you know. Right. But I, I understand teams sitting pl- players down that are already in the playoffs. And you said that last I week. You would have liked the Steelers to try to carry over the momentum from their comeback I, against the Colts. I thought they should have. And although they played a good game against, uh, against Cleveland, you know, but – Look, that's just my opinion. You know, everybody has their own opinion about how they would do that. But, you know, and and all you had to do is look at the Colts back in the days of Tony Dungy coaching them. Every single time they they would basically lock up the number one seed by week 14, week 15. He was already sitting guys for two weeks. The one year that he didn't, they were forced to play to week 16, week 17. They were forced to play it was the year they won the Super Bowl. All the other years, they did not win a Super Bowl. So, look, I, I mean, it, look, we've seen it here in New York ourselves, Andrew, in a different sport with our favorite team in that sport. The year that the Rangers decided to go into a rebuild mode, right? The year they decided to do that, last game of the season was against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Mm hmm. Okay, and the Rangers could have tanked that game. They would have had a top five pick, guaranteed, guaranteed. They came out and played their best game of the season to where it dropped them to a point where they only had like a a, a 0.32% chance of getting a top three pick. And what happened? They got the number two pick overall. They, They didn't tank and they were rewarded the following year. They weren't tanking for, for Lafreniere, who was, what they say, a transcendent talent, a generational talent, another Sidney Crosby-type player. And what happened? They got the number one pick. 
They went into the playoff bubble. All right, they got swept by Carolina, but they played their asses off that in, from January 2020 to when the pandemic hit to mid-March. They were the, the top five team in the NHL. And again, they were rewarded by not tanking. And, and here's another example. The year prior to that, even though they, they won a meaningless game at the end of the season, last game of the season, against the Detroit Red Wings. And because they won that game, it knocked them out of an early pick, and they got a later pick, and it kind of screwed them. But guess what? It didn't affect them because there's not incompetence at the top of that organization, and they were still able to make the most of what they had, and they were able to expedite the rebuild doing all the other necessary steps that we've been talking about for months on this podcast. So it's not always taking the losing route to ensure a higher pick because you know what? When you create that sort of losing culture, the only thing it does is solidifies that you will continue to be a loser as long as the people in charge are still in charge. And that's the bottom line. You do things the right way, you get rewarded. You see progress. Listen, I'm sure the Giants would love to have Chase Young on this roster right now if they didn't win meaningless games down the stretch a couple years ago. But you know what? They won those games. And how's it working out for them? They're doing just fine. They were in a playoff hunt until week 17. You saw every single draft pick from last season contribute in meaningful ways in every game this season, and they're in a good spot moving forward. So it's not always about getting the highest draft pick and making an embarrassment and a mockery of the sport in the There's process. nothing to guarantee with these picks. There's nothing to guarantee you're getting the best player at six or at nine. There's no guarantees here. I'll go back again to what I said last, last week. Tristan Wirfs. Justin Jefferson, where were they taken? So there's no guarantees. You know what the only guarantee is? Let me ask you a question. When was the last time a top five quarterback went to a Super Bowl or won a Super Bowl? Keep thinking. Yeah. I mean, the only person I'm thinking about is Ben, and he was taken eighth overall. Yeah. Donovan McNabb didn't win. Well, Eli. Eli, okay. Yeah, that's the last right. one. Eli, yeah. yeah, okay. We got Eli. But I'm saying it's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee. The only every, guarantee is every, that these players every, are going to go out and play to win. Every Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, uh, Tim Couch, I mean, uh, um, um, Blake Bortles. Marcus Bortles, Mariota, Jameis uh, Winston. Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston. How many, uh, Jamarcus Russell. How many more we got to name? There's no guarantee here. There's no guarantees. EJ Manuel. EJ Manuel. Yeah, there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees here. You know, you don't know. Jared Goff. I mean, my God. You know, Brady Quinn. Just, Brady Quinn. Yeah, Brady, uh, Rick Myra. We want to go back? We'll go back. You know, I, I, there, there was a time when the Patriots had to decide between Drew Bledsoe and Mick Ryer, Mick, uh, Rick Myra. I mean, <laughs> Rick Myra was horrendous, and he was he was being he was being uh, um um they they were they were trying to decide between him and Drew Bledsoe for the number one pick overall. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, so come on, no nothing to guarantee. There's no guarantees here. Well, Zero. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you one thing that's guaranteed, and that is that the Jets have the number two overall pick in this upcoming draft. And I'm sure and, they were happy with the way Justin Fields played the other night. But, you know, that's – Well, not only for their Monday sake night. if they yeah. want to draft him because he lo- yeah. he shows promise, but also now that number two pick becomes so much more valuable with Fields having the, the show that he did the other night. Well, look, Because there before, might be teams looking to move up and take him. 
before you even discuss the draft, because you know we we got a few months, and that's 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 for another day to discuss as far as who the Jets might draft or anything else. It's going to be there. You know, the most single most important thing for the Jets right now is their coaching search. And Absolutely. I'm telling you right now, the more I thought about it, you know, the Jets need a guy to come in there that's going to be the CEO of the team. And I think I mentioned this last week or the week before. <clears throat> and he's going to have to be the CEO, not some sort of offensive genius or defensive genius, whatever it may be. But the more I think about it, I, in my opinion, I think the best hire for the Jets right now, and again, it goes back to changing a bit of a culture and to having the coach be the strongest voice in the locker room. I'm telling you, in my opinion, the Jets probably could do themselves a good service if they hired a guy like a Jim Caldwell. I'm telling you, the more I think about it, Jim Caldwell – Marvin Lewis, why not look at guys like that? These are guys that command respect. These are guys that are football lifers. They're football coaches. There's no guarantee with some of these assistant coaches that you're trying to interview here. All right, yeah, you're going to have a Kevin Stefanski that, you know, that, that did a terrific job in Cleveland. You'll have guys like that that's going, yeah, you know. But, the- but Cleveland has a has a roster with a ton of talent. The Jets don't have a roster with a ton of talent. So the problem you run into if you bring in a guy like the enemy or you bring in a guy like a Brian Dayball, these guys who are innovative, offensive-minded head coaches. Okay, they could be as innovative as they want, but if you have no talent on the team, there's not going to be any sort of growth, and there's not going to be any culture that's being built. Andrew, Cleveland had a ton of talent the week the year before when Freddie Kitchens was there. So, you know, it's basically it's not much of a team that's it's not much different than what they have with Kevin Stefanski this year. Be honest with no, you. No, but what I'm saying uh, is you can you can afford to bring in a guy who's an offensive minded head coach and has a specialty when you have a team that already has talent, and you just need some fine tuned tweaking. Well, I mean, you could bring in a guy like Joe Brady and that's what you're saying. You know, you you, you look at you, yeah, you look at guys like that, but what are you coaching? Again, you don't want a guy just to concentrate on one side of the ball. Right. No, I agree with you. That's what yeah. I'm saying. If you bring in one of these guys like a B enemy or like a like a guy like no Brian Dable, who has no a specialty for being innovative, you know, how much is that going to yeah. change the culture of the organization it's not. and, and help them infuse any sort of talent? And that's why I'm telling you, a guy like Jim Codwell, a guy like Marvin Lewis, to come in, change the culture a bit in that locker room, be the strongest voice in a locker room, be a leader, and be able to coach 52 NFL players on a roster. Not just 26, not just an offense, not just a defense. To coach an entire team. And that's where teams get stuck sometimes. That's where they get stuck. So if I'm the Jets, man, that's the way I'm going, in my opinion. That's the way I'm going. Well, th- there's been a few names that have been uh, thrown out there as, as guys that the Jets specifically are interested in. Uh, Bienemy was one of them. They actually talked with Bienemy today. Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills, is another one. I'm not exactly sure how that would work. Um, I mean, I know the Chiefs have a bye this week, but with the Bills preparing for a game, I don't think that they would be able to talk but, to him anytime soon. But you know what, Andrew? We're talking, guys. Brian Dable, Josh Allen, Eric Bienemy, Patrick Mahomes. You know, yeah, they helped develop these guys. All right, so why not look at Pep Hamilton? Pep Hamilton developed Andrew Luck. And now he developed Justin Herbert. So, 
But let's let's look at Pep Hamilton then. But you can't just look at a guy because he developed a quarterback. This is where you get stuck into that rut again. This is exactly what I'm talking about. The Jets are looking at guys that are specialized type of guys. Yeah. All right, Brian Dable, offense. Uh, Eric Bieniemy, offense. But can they be a leader amongst men? My concern with Bieniemy is he's had multiple interviews over the last couple of years, and he hasn't been close to being hired. Yeah, he's been passed up. That that that's a little bit of a red flag. I've always thought that he was a good candidate. I know that you have never been high on him, but that's a red no. flag for me. The fact that he's been at the top of the list for so many searches and hasn't even gotten a sniff as far as an offer to be the head coach, that's a little bit of a red flag for me. And, the, and the other guys, the other guys that they're looking at too. Seem to be specialists just on the other side of the ball. Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator from the Colts. They're looking at uh, Brandon Staley, the defensive coordinator from the Rams. Arthur Smith, another offensive guy from from Tennessee, who's been able to kind of help that roster with Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill, um, you know, kind of right in the ship there in Tennessee. So it all comes down to who's going to be able to infuse a culture. And, and I know that I thought that the whole culture thing was overblown when you had a team that didn't have a lot of talent on it. I said that when the Giants hired Joe Judge. And you know what? He proved me wrong. And when you're seeing the results pay dividends on the other side of town, why can't you just follow the method? You have a team that doesn't have a ton of talent. Yeah, you have some pieces that were just drafted that look solid, right? Denzel Mims looks like a good a good receiver. Makai Becton looks like a bona fide stud uh, left tackle on this team. You have some pieces here and there. So you need to be able to make the most of the draft capital you have, and you got to let the front office do their job on that side. But like you said, you need the guy who's going to command the whole entire room when he steps up in the locker room and starts yeah. speaking. And whoever that guy is, you know, we don't know. It ultimately will take time, and we won't know until whoever they hire takes over, but they're not really looking at anybody that has any sort of experience, so it seems like it would be an experiment. All right, so let's go through some of these playoff games now. Um and Saturday, we have three games. We got the Colts. Uh, you know, it starts off with the Colts at Bills. The uh, mid-afternoon game is Rams at Seahawks. And then the night game is the Buccaneers at Washington. I tell you, I'll be honest with you, Andrew. I, I can't even see the Colts staying in this game against the Bills. I just don't. And I'll tell you right now, if they put the ball in Phillip Rivers' hands, unless they're down by 30, the Colts will have to be nuts. Because once again, Phillip Rivers comes down to a third quarter, fourth quarter, where he needs to make plays and came up empty once again, and that's been his career in a nutshell. And not for Jonathan Taylor, he saved the Colts' asses. I'll tell you that right now. Saved their asses because Rivers did nothing once again in his second half, and that's been his career. And anybody can argue with me about that. Anybody. (laughs) Believe me, you'll be proven wrong. You know me. I'm in the same boat as you. I can't trust Phillip Rivers in any sort of meaningful game. No way. uh, you know, unless Josh Allen morphs back into the Josh Allen of, but not of last for, year. Not for nothing, you know? let's be honest, too. We don't have much faith in the Colts and Phillip Rivers being able to carry this team to victory. But you also have to acknowledge the fact that, yeah, I know that everybody's in love with the Chiefs. And, yes, they went 15-1, and one, right, uh, right? And we know that they're defending Super Bowl champions and they have Patrick Mahomes. But let's be honest, Rob. Who's playing the best football right now in the AFC? It's the Buffalo Bills. And it's yeah. not close. It's not close. No, it's not. Yeah, it's not close. So... They have that work cut out for them. Yeah, it's not close. Not even close. But like you said, unless unless Josh Allen falters like he did in the postseason last year, I don't see a reason why Buffalo can't be a serious contender coming out of the AFC. When you look at all yeah. these other teams, right? Tennessee is too inconsistent. I can't trust Phillip Rivers throwing the ball. 
I'm not just saying this because I'm a fan of the Steelers, but I, I, I don't see Cleveland beating Pittsburgh this weekend. Kansas City has been having struggles. I mean, you saw the way that they played against Atlanta in Week 16. They're, they're having struggles. On both sides of the ball, they're having struggles, the Chiefs. Uh, the Ravens, yeah, they've been hot recently too, but me and you have said this time and time again. I need to see Lamar Jackson play in the playoffs. And if, if that blueprint for success for them is running the football, I mean, they rushed for 405 yards on Sunday. That's not going to happen again. No way. So uh, Buffalo's a scary team. I'm telling you, they are. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's it's a scary team. You know, it, it's a scary team. And again, look, this is this is a, a critical game for Josh Allen because he needs to take away the stench of what he did last year in the playoffs against the Texans. So, and I, I can't see him playing poorly in this game. I just don't see it. I mean, Colts have a pretty good defense. They got a good defense, the Colts. You know, but um, yeah, I, I, I so. I mean, they dismantled the Dolphins the other day, too. And I'm telling you, I, I, I got to wonder if the Dol- Dolphins are ruined the day that they passed on Herbert to take two. Oh, my God. Well, here's a question. I know I know, we, we don't want to get too far into the draft because it's so far in the future. But let me ask you a quick question. You know Lawrence is going number one to the Jaguars. Let's say that the Jets take Sewell, the offensive tackle out of Oregon, at number two. What do the Dolphins do at number three? Do you consider taking a quarterback at number three? No, they're not going to. I don't think so. I think they're going to probably take the tackle. But look, I, I, I you know, they've already come out and said two is their starter. You, look, two. I mean, I, I know what happened with Josh Rosen, but not a lot of teams were enamored with Josh Rosen coming out of that draft. He basically was just taken because, at that point, everybody thought it was the right pick to make. Well, not only not only did Josh Rosen show you absolutely nothing, but there were also clips of Cliff Kingsbury before he was hired saying, if I had the number one pick in the draft, I would select Kyler Murray. So you already knew right. that Cliff Kingsbury loved him before right. he even got the job in Arizona. Right. So all the stars just kind of aligned there. They kind of aligned, exactly. They kind of aligned. Um, I, don't, I don't see them taking the quarterback. I don't. I don't see them taking it. You know, maybe to tackle, but look, we'll get into that when we have to get into it as far as the drafts is concerned. And then, look, you know, the, I tell you, the Rams Seahawks and, and the Rams did it with a backup quarterback the other day. You know, John Wolford, I mean, that that matchup, that kid Strebler, that, that quarterback for the Arizona, Andrew. I don't know if you watched that game. I did. I watched the whole thing, actually. That might have been one of the worst professional NFL quarterbacks I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah. He looked cool been, with all the tattoos, but he couldn't he really looked, play. He looked like a guy that should be like a – he should have been cutting down trees in the forest of Alaska <laughs> somewhere. You know, that guy. You know, drinking some beers and, and – You know what I thought? I thought that he looked like he would be a, a bouncer outside a bar on Forest Avenue. Oh That's what I thought. God. Oh, my God. <laughs> he had the tattoos. He had the beard. Oh, my God. But he couldn't, he couldn't play football at all. You know, that, that kid Walford, too, he kind of had Doug Hodges written all over him for me. Oh, my least. God, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he certainly did. He certainly did. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, but Wolford, listen, Wolford did enough. He did enough. He threw the ball pretty decently. You know, Wolford. Well, uh, Jared Goff did practice today. Yes, he, he did practice. But I He mean, practiced today. With that thumb injury on his throwing hand, that's tricky. That's really tricky. And the biggest question mark going into this game, and I was listening to, uh, um, I forget who it was who said it, someone on NFL Network. You know, we always talk about what's the key to Jared Goff's success? It's the play action game, right? That's what makes him most effective throwing a ball from the pocket is the play action. 
they're saying that there's a chance that his thumb might not be able to handle taking snaps under center. So if you have Goff taking every snap from the shotgun, that takes away 56% of it. I think they said 56% of the passing plays that the Rams run are play action. So if you take 56% of your offense away, how effective can Jared Goff really be? Well, look, we'll, we're going to find out, <laughs> I tell you, because <laughs> I'll be honest with you. It's not like he's so good, Jared Goff, that he has to play if, if he can even be at 70%. Because even at 100%, he's not that good. No, I, I know. I, and listen, that Rams defense is really good. And, and let's be real here. I mean, over the past six or seven weeks, what have we seen out of Russell Wilson that makes you confident that he's going to be able to score points right now? Not much, but i tell you the truth. They, they seem like they've scaled him back again, Russell Wilson. Since they, they got the running backs back. healthy. Since they got their running backs healthy. And I tell you, this is going to be a challenge for them because the Rams defense is that good. And I tell you, Jalen Ramsey is man. He is so good, Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald. So they got some. They got some players. They got some players on defense, the Rams. And I, they're going to give. They're going to give the Seahawks all they can handle. And the Seahawks might be short-handed. I'm sure he's going to give it a go. But Jamal Adams is highly questionable to even play this game. But I'm sure he'll try and give it a go. But he is not going to be at 100 percent, Jamal Adams. So he's got the shoulder injury. So you know, be aware of that. Yeah, I, I, I'll be interested to see what the Rams do from the quarterback. But like you said, I mean, I, to me, I mean, I really don't have that much more confidence in the Rams with Goff playing quarterback than I do with Wolford playing quarterback. And it's, Andrew, it's more think, of an indictment on Goff than it is on yeah, Wolford. I think they got the same shot of winning this game with Wolford or with Goff, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I really do. I, I can't see why. And you've seen both of these teams play each other twice already this year, and they were low-scoring dogfights. Not not many points were scored. It was a struggle on offense for both sides, so it's going to be a defensive battle. In Seattle with no 12th man, so the home field advantage really doesn't mean much from that perspective. So it's anybody's ballgame. I think it's going to come down to one of those games where who makes who makes the biggest mistake, and whatever team makes the biggest mistake is going to lose. They say, you know what, it, you know what this has this this game gives me a feeling of old Steelers games back in from 2008 to around 2012, where you just knew at the end of the game that, all right, if, or like a Steelers Ravens game back in 2010, you just had the feeling, okay, if Ed Reed makes the big play, the the, the Ravens are going to win. If Palomalu makes the big play, the Steelers are going to win. And I could see that happening with the Rams Seahawks. You know, if, a guy like Jalen Ramsey makes the big play, then the Rams are going to win. If a guy on Seattle like Jamal Adams, if he plays, or a, or a Bobby Wagner, if they make the big play, then they're going to win. I think that's what it's going to come down to. What team makes the mistake and what team capitalizes on the mistake? Yeah, I, look, I, I mean, it, that should be a, that's going to be a, a very, very close game. I could see that coming down to the wire, that game, obviously. Um, I, I just think the Bills, are, I, I think the Bills should win big. I really do. I think they should win big. And then we go to the night game with Tampa at Washington. And I'll tell you the truth. I don't think this is even going to be a contest. I mean, the, the weapons that Tom Brady has at his disposal. I mean, this is this is like a kid on Christmas Day. My God. I mean, Antonio Brown now is just, is just rounding into form. Mike Evans, who had gotten hurt in that game, but from all accounts is saying he should play um, with, with Chris Godwin and a running game. 
Uh, you know, their defense is good enough, but I don't think your defense has to be that good to play against Washington, to be honest with you, and and, and Alex Smith. I really don't. So I, I could see this 34-16 to 16 type game in Tampa for Tampa. You know what? I don't think, I think it could be much of a game. I think it's I, – I actually disagree. I, I think it's close. And not that I think that Alex Smith can light up the scoreboard, but I just I, – I think that Washington's defense could give Tampa a run for their money. When, when you create a game plan to try to combat Tom Brady, what you need to be able to do is you need to be able to get pressure with your front four without blitzing because if you're going to blitz and send the house on Tom Brady, yeah, you could get pressure on him that way, but he's going to recognize it at the line of scrimmage and he's going to be able to change the play. But if you can get the pressure with the front four guys, which Washington has proven all year they can with Chase Young and Ryan Kerrigan and Jonathan Allen and Montez Sweat, if they can do that and the secondary holds up their job on the back end, I think they could limit Tampa's offense. The only question is, how is Alex Smith going to be able to get points on the board for that offense? Because he did not look good. You know, he has all the problems with his leg. We understand that. And you add a calf injury into the equation, and he was just, he was a statue. And he's never been the most mobile quarterback. He doesn't normally run too, too much. But he was a statue standing still. He couldn't even he couldn't even step with his front foot when he was throwing a ball on Sunday night. So if that's going to limit him in this game, then you're right. I can't see the offense keeping up. But I do think the defense could could keep Tampa in check enough to, to keep this a competitive game. I would say that the points burn on this game is eight. I would say that that's probably about right. I could see this being a touchdown game, maybe a 10-point game. Yeah, look, I, I I know in the past, you know, teams would would that didn't have to blitz Tom Brady were very successful. And you go back to the Giants and the Eagles, both beating him in the Super Bowl. However, with Washington, and they do have four good down linemen, and obviously they have Chase Young, who's a terrific young player in this league. Uh, I I just don't see it here. I don't I don't think Washington has enough on the back end to 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 cover any of these these world-class receivers. Like I said, Godwin, and you got uh, Gronkowski, and you got Antonio Brown, and Mike Evans, and even Cameron Brake coming, you know, back up to Gronkowski. I don't think there's enough of them. They have a running game with Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette. There's just too much there. And I'll tell you the truth, there's no, you know, Tampa gets out to a lead. Washington's not coming back from that. And now, is, Ro- is Ronald Jones back? Yeah, he's back. He played last week. Yeah, oh, he back. did? Okay. All right. Yeah, he's back. Yep, he's back. So what? I, so it was. Um, see, I thought he was on IR. Was it just the COVID list that he was on? Well, he had he had the surgery on the thumb, and then he had he was on the COVID list. But he played last week. He scored a touchdown. So okay, he's back. See, you know, I, then, I didn't I didn't know that he scored a touchdown last week because I was yeah. so locked into Cardinals Rams. <laughs> oh yeah, well, how could you not be? Everybody was intrigued by Strebler. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Canada's own came out of the out of the out of the Canadian League. Jesus, he came out of the oh. forest with his axe. Oh my god! Yeah, well, he came. He played for. He he played in Canada. He played in the CFL. That's where he came from, and it just goes to show, man, you you gotta have some sort of a backup quarterback. And I know in this day and age, it's hard with the salary cap and everything, but for God's sake, you gotta have something better than that because now yeah. you're coming down to a. Uh, you know, win a take all game. You you win, you win, and you advance into the playoffs. You lose, and you go to hell home. And you bring this bum in. Are you kidding me? Well, it got so bad that they had to bring Kyler Murray back into the yes. game in the fourth quarter, who couldn't yeah. throw or walk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he had an ankle and a shoulder injury. The yeah. guy couldn't even move, and they were forced Nothing. to bring him back move. in. 
because that's right. how bad Strevler was. That's how bad that guy was. So look, whether or not next year you got to sign a Mariota or Tyrod Taylor or something, you got to you know all these teams have to find something better than than Strebler. So now you know we'll go to the Sunday games and, and we start off with the one o'clock game, which is Ravens at Titans. And I know you hate them, Andrew, but those Ravens, man, I tell you, this AFC is stacked as far as the playoffs right now. Yeah, when you're talking about Pittsburgh possibly being the fifth or sixth best team in the playoffs. Yeah, you know, you know, you got some, you you got some firepower in that AFC, man. You know, like I said before, Baltimore is one of the hottest teams. I'd say they're probably the hottest team behind Buffalo. But man, I just we've seen the same story take shape two years in a row for this team, and when it comes to time for the postseason. So until I see differently, I can't really instill any sort of faith in them to win a big game. So maybe they'll prove me wrong. I'm not going to say hopefully they do because I hate the Ravens. I hope they don't. I hope they prove me right and they loop, go one and done again. But, you know, I just can't put any sort of faith in them or any sort of stock in them until I see them do it. Yeah, I get it. I don't blame you. You know, I, it's the same situation with the Bills. You got to see Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen do it in a playoff game. You know, and that's just the way it is. As great as he was and he's MVP type season Josh Allen had, it goes the same as Lamar Jackson last year's MVP. We got to see them do it in the playoffs. So, so far, Jackson being 0-2 and Josh Allen 0-1, and neither did not play well in those playoff games, need to step up their game this year. But, you know, look, every every great player always does it. You know, they always come down to the point where there's always that game that they have in the playoffs that kind of, kind of cements them. So we'll see if this happens with Jackson and, and Allen this year, both or either one. But, I, I, look, the way the Ravens are playing, I tell you, you know, Titans could be tough though, but the Titans defense is is god awful. That's yeah. the problem. Problem is their defense is that bad, and I don't even know if Derrick Henry could save their ass. Well, the Ravens do have a, a it's an overrated defense in my opinion, but they can stop the run. So that bodes well for Baltimore in this game because if you don't shut down Derrick Henry, the Titans are just going to control the clock. And when you have a team that's going to be able to control the clock like that then the Ravens can't do what they want to do on offense. So that's right. where they run into a problem. So they right. need to be able to stop Derrick Henry if they want to do what they want to do. Right. Yeah, uh, look, I mean, Derrick Henry's proven to be unstoppable. Don't get me wrong. You know, he's been proven to be unstoppable. So, yeah. Um, it look, doesn't it feel look, weird to you? Earlier on in the season, we were saying that the Titans' run game doesn't look the same. He ends up with over 2,000 yards. It's amazing. <laughs> well, he's gotten some chunk games where he's gotten 200 plus yards. And, well, he had 260 on Sunday, didn't he? Yeah, two. Yeah, but I, look, I, it's what it comes down to. As long as they're in games, they're going to run them. They're going to run them. They fall behind, and obviously they can't run them. But you know, the, as long as they're in games, it's Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry, and more Derrick Henry. But I tell you the truth, the Titans have an all-world receiver in AJ Brown. Man, that guy's terrific. That's a great receiver right there. Yeah. That's a great receiver. A.J. Brown's a hell of a receiver. So, you know, Tannehill's played well. You know, another guy, you know, that's why you have to see what happened with Sam Donald because once Tannehill got away from Adam Gase, his career flourished. Right. So, you know, you got into the right place with the right system and the right coaching, and it's helped him out immensely. So well, you, you talk about a game that I don't think is going to be a contest, and that's the 4 o'clock game with the Bears and the Saints. 
I know Trubisky's looked good the last couple of weeks of the season, but I mean they're frauds. They're frauds. And New Orleans has a defense that's going to be able to suffocate him. I know there's not a lot of a ton of confidence in Drew Brees and that team to light up the scoreboard, but I just don't see Chicago being able to keep this close. And Chicago has relied on their defense for the last couple seasons, and you can tell their defense is not the same that it once was a couple of years ago. Their defense has given up a yeah. lot of points in, in a number of different games this season, so I don't even see this being close. I think the Saints roll in this one. I think the Bears keep it a little close. I, I do think the Bears keep it close. I think they could do enough offensively to uh, to to just at least cover the number. I don't see them winning the game, but I think they do enough to to, to keep it close. So uh, I think this is the least intriguing of all the games. To be honest with you, this this weekend, it it just I don't know. I just feel like the Saints. I feel like. Any one of these teams, with the exception of the Bears being one and probably the Colts being two, but I could listen, anything can happen. Colts are a good team, and they're by far a better team than the Bears. I just don't see the Bears being able to beat the Saints. I could make a base, I can make a case for any one of these other teams in these six games to win the game outright. Well, probably not Washington, though. So what am I saying? I can't see Washington winning now. So backtrack that. Forget that. Forget that. They're not beating Tampa. It's not happening. No, that's not happening. The only listen, they're a home team, but you know, there's no fans, so it doesn't matter. But I could, you know, look, you, you, you go in, you go into that that Bears Saints game, and if you're the Bears, right? You're the Bears. You do have a running game, and Drew Brees has 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 proven not to be able to throw the ball downfield. Seems like his arm is shot. He gets his best weapon back in Michael Thomas now. So that's going to help them. That'll help a lot. That'll help a lot. Yeah, Mon- Montgomery has been good in recent weeks for the Bears, and I don't see him being able to run the ball. If you're going to put this game all in Trubisky's hands, then I just don't see him. I don't see him being able to do it. I mean, we've seen Green Bay twice now play against Trubisky, whose defense seems to be their Achilles' heel, and he couldn't even muster up anything. So. I, I just don't see them being able to generate any sort of points against the Saints. And I know, yeah, it, you know, the Superdome is not the same. I said that about Seattle before. But listen, I, I just I just think that New Orleans is too much for the Bears, and I don't think the Bears deserve to be here. I think they're going to be outclassed in every way. I really do. And I normally don't feel that way about playoff games. I think they're all going to be tight contests. But this one, I just, I don't know, I just have a feeling that it's going to be a blowout. Yeah, I think I think you're right there. I mean, I don't, I don't know about a blowout. I still think I I could see the Bears cover the number, only because it's dangling on that nine and a half, and that's always dangerous. Right, because you sit there and say, "Why is it not ten? Why is it not ten? <laughs> right. You know what I Why mean? Is it, that number, uh, six and a half and thirteen and a half. Those are those numbers where you're just like, yeah, "Why is it not rounded up a half that, point? Yeah, it's a little, little quirky. And then you go into the uh, Sunday night game, which Really, now all of a sudden, Cleveland is in trouble because they've lost their head coach, Kevin Stefanski, to to COVID. He's asymptomatic from everything that they say, but that doesn't even matter at this point because he can't even be in a building. So their special teams coordinator, uh, Mark Prefer, I think it is, is going to be taking over the head coaching reins, and supposedly they're going to have in Stefanski, I think, somehow, some way, I guess maybe – some either FaceTime or Zoom calls to the sideline. I could see that happening. I think from what I'm reading, 
that seems like it might be happening. Did you read anything about that? Oh my goodness. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I have on the background here. I'm watching the LSU Georgia uh, college basketball game, and the game is tied 80 to 80. And Georgia has the last possession. They take a shot with like six seconds. It doesn't go in. LSU gets the rebound. Kid heaved the shot with about a second left from the baseline of the other side of the court. And it just barely rimmed out. He almost hit a full court shot to win the game. If he would have hit it, I would have freaked out. That so, was the craziest thing I've ever seen. So, so you interrupted NFL playoffs with Browns and Steelers to tell me about LSU Georgia, about a guy that takes a half court shot. And not only does it take the half court shot, but it doesn't even freaking go in. Oh my God! Look at this no replay on the game. Look at I don't this replay. What the replay. It was is. so close. Nobody, re- nobody remembers that somebody rimmed the shot in and out from half court. All right, you know what? Day. This is what we're gonna do. Okay, we're gonna shut that off. That's I'm not. Gonna, I'm not gonna shut it off. What I'm gonna do, just to appease you, because I know how much you're gonna love this. I have the DVR. I'm rewinding it, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna take a video of the shot. I think you'll have a slightly different opinion. If you see it on video, see this I, is how I, I definitely won't. I, I definitely I, won't. We're I in the middle. Of, we're in the middle of breaking down NFL playoffs first week wild card week. Listen, you know what I think and is not being taught. This is what you're cutting us off at. You know what's people, not being our listeners right now are going to be ticked off. No, because our listeners at this point tomorrow it'll be Thursday. Would they would have seen the highlight? Of this shot that almost went in, and they'd be no, saying, you know what? He rightfully me. interrupted him. It did, <laughs> he rightfully it interrupted him because that was close. It didn't go in. That's all that matters. The ball didn't I go think, in. I think that what's not being talked about enough is the fact that I'm talented enough to be able to record a podcast, watch a basketball game, be able to take the remote and rewind to a point that I want to see again, be able to videotape it and send it to you while still recording a podcast. That's multitasking at its finest. That's the part that's being unnoticed here. And that's impressive. Oh boy. And I just, and I, and I just sent it your way. So have at it and then let me know your opinion. You got to at least watch it. You got to try it. It's like new food. You can't say you don't like something unless you try it. All right, so could, could we get back to what's important now? What's important is that you watch the video I sent you. Or, wait, um, are you not sophisticated enough to be able to watch a video and do a podcast at the same time? If you're not, I totally understand. Okay, so you know what I'm doing? You know what I've been doing for the past past uh, 23 minutes while we're doing I, a podcast? I actually don't know because you're frozen on Skype. You've been frozen with the same face on for a half hour, so I have no oh, idea what you're doing. At least you get a pretty face. <laughs> All right, so I see that. Okay, okay. So I've been doing a, actually. I've been doing a, a a hockey draft while I'm doing the podcast. Oh, really? Yeah. See, that's impressive too. So I shortchange you a little bit. Shortchange me a little bit. So I'm doing a hockey draft on ESPN. See, I'm surprised because we've been talking about specific players in the NFL by name, and you haven't mixed up any names. You've gotten them right. No. You, ha- you haven't been talking about the Titans running game and mentioning Artemi Panarin by accident. You, yeah. You've been good. See, that's time. That's called multitasking at its finest. And this now, is why this for the love of God, so great. get back to the Browns and Steelers, please. <laughs> See, please. Did, did you ever think that you would have to twist my arm this hard to talk about the Steelers? Uh, yeah, I don't understand. <laughs> You want the Jack Steeler talk when we're talking about freaking baseball, for God's sake. 
Okay. So anyway, as I was saying before this LSU-Georgia rimmed in and out, Stefanski is going to miss this game. And and then and then you have Rashad Higgins getting arrested for drag racing yesterday morning. You can't wait, I tell you, you can't make I didn't up. even I didn't even see that. You, yeah, you didn't see that? Yeah. Well, maybe because you were watching college basketball highlights. You know what? You're probably right. <laughs> so yeah, he got he got arrested for, for drag racing, uh, uh Rashad Higgins. But anyway, so they're gonna be missing their head coach, and Stefanski's done a terrific job with the Browns this year. Maybe really we'll yep. we'll be missing. So uh, look, is it going to make a difference? I, I'd have to think so. When your head coach isn't there, you know, his head Absolutely. coach, he, he's going to be quarantined. Um, so that's, uh, that's a big loss for the Browns there. Well, big there's loss. a lot of, there's a lot of people I've been seeing on Twitter that have been saying that, well, it's not a huge deal. It's Stefanski. He's not going to be able to coach because obviously he's still holding virtual meetings during the week and he'll still be able to implement the game plan. But let me he tell you something. Plays. He called the plays. I, I, I understand. That's why I'm saying that it, it is a big deal. And also you got to, you got to think about the fact too, that you had a, you have a guy who's taken over as the interim head coach this week, who's a special teams coordinator, has no experience and the playoffs are a different animal. There's a lot of in-game decisions and adjustments that need to be made, and you're not going to have your head signal caller there to be able to make them. So it is a huge deal that he's not going to be there. Sure. Huge. Yeah. yeah. A team that has no playoff experience. They just ended the long, like one of the longest droughts in the NFL, or was it the longest playoff drought in the NFL right now? Currently, was that the longest drought Cleveland? Yes. So you have a team that has zero, zero playoff experience. And you're not going to have your head coach who has the experience from being in Minnesota, being the offensive coordinator there. He has the playoff experience. So it's a huge loss for them. And then you knock out Joel Batonio from the offensive line, an all-pro guard who has been with Cleveland through thick and thin, through all the losing, through all the turmoil. He stayed there, and he's kind of a vocal leader with that locker room, and he's not going to be there on the offensive line either. He's a good player, and he's a great voice to have in the locker room. So those are two big losses for Cleveland, who have kind of had a little bit of an outbreak or, and, a, and a COVID issue for the past two weeks now. It hasn't necessarily been running rampant, but they've had a lot of positive tests at different points throughout the past two or three weeks. I believe this is now the 27th player they've had, to, or the 17th player they've had to put on the list. Um since the beginning of December. So they've had sporadic positive tests here and there, and it's, and it's affected them depth wise for a couple of weeks now. Yeah. But I, you know, look, <laughs> Baker Mayfield never really plays well against the Steeler defense. Somehow, some way they always give him problems. No, the well, only reason why Cleveland won that game was because of a costly interception. Yeah. By Mason Rudolph. Other than that, I, I thought that Pittsburgh played pretty well. I'm not going to say that they outplayed them. It was a pretty evenly matched game, but Cleveland certainly didn't win that game because of Baker Mayfield. I thought Mason Rudolph outplayed Baker Mayfield. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, that's not saying a lot, though. But I'm still not I'm still not sold on Mason Rudolph. No, no, I'm not saying you should be sold on Mason Rudolph, but I think it speaks volume about your confidence level going into a week like this. You, you just played Pittsburgh last weekend, and you had your starting quarterback – outplayed by Pittsburgh's backup quarterback. So what's your confidence going into a playoff game in Heinz Field against a team that, look, they sat a bunch of their big-time starters on defense last week too. No T.J. Watt, no Cam Hayward, Joe Hayden on the COVID list, who's going to be out this week as well. Uh, Terrell Edmonds, their starting safety alongside Minka Fitzpatrick, didn't play, and he had his struggles. You add those guys back into the mix, you put Baker Mayfield on the road, 
and you have all the starters playing for Pittsburgh, it's it's not a favorable matchup. Oh, and then you take away the head coach who's not going to be there, and you turn to a special teams coordinator who's never been more than a special teams coordinator at, at any level, and he's going to be your head coach for the week. So it's it's really not an ideal situation. But look, the NFL came out and said they're not going to make any adjustments to the schedule based on competition. They're only going to make adjustments to the playoff schedule if, the, if there's fear of the virus being spread um, in large amounts. So. Right. Cleveland's Cleveland's been dealt this hand and they got to play. They're not they're not going to fold. They got to play, so they got to see what the outcome is going to be. Look, here's what Cleveland needs to do: is run the ball, keep the ball out of Mayfield's hands. Not look, Mayfield's played well. He just doesn't play well against the Steelers and against that defense. They can be run on. I'd use your two-headed monster of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And I tell you the truth, those two guys combined should have about 50 carries. To be honest with you. Well, here's the thing: Pittsburgh's defense. Uh, I'm not going to say it's overrated because I think it's a really good defense. They've dealt with some injuries, so they're not as good as they were in the beginning of the season. But here's the thing that makes Pittsburgh's defense so good. They're not the type of defense that's going to completely shut you down and make you punt on every drive. They're the defense that's opportunistic and is going to force you to turn the ball over. If you feed the ball to Chubb and Kareem Hunt, like you just said, Rob, they're not going to turn the ball over. If you put the ball in Baker Mayfield's hands, you're more susceptible to those turnovers, which are going to be game changers. So you need to you need to establish the run if you want a shot at this game if you're Cleveland. Yeah, they have to establish the run. They have to establish the run. And again, you know, it's it's more so because of the struggles that Mayfield's had against the Steelers defense that they need to establish the running game. They have to. Like I said, you have you have a two-headed monster with Chubb and Kareem Hunt, who, by the way, could also both catch the ball out of the backfield. So right. they're weapons in that respect as well. Well, so, look at the look at the first time both of these teams met early this season. Right away, Baker Mayfield threw a pick six to Minka Fitzpatrick on the first drive of the game, and it set the tone for the rest of the game. A big mistake that was returned for a touchdown set the tone for the rest of the game. Now, obviously, that was back in week five. It was a long time ago, but it just goes to show you, in a playoff game, especially on the road, you have an early mistake by putting the ball in Mayfield's hands. I think Cleveland's done for. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, and I'll tell you, Cleveland will be missing Olivier Vernon, who's who's been terrific, especially the last five weeks. Leads the league in quarterback pressures over the last six weeks. Olivier Vernon, ex-giant, and he tore his Achilles, so they'll be missing him. So th- that's that's actually a big miss for uh, for Cleveland. It's a big miss from their passing game, uh, from their uh, pass rushing uh, defense. So uh, look, and I- you know how I know it was a bad Achilles injury too. Is because when, I've when, never seen a good Achilles injury to be well, no, neither, neither have I. But when Vernon went down, he was grabbing up by his calf, which means that it must have like ruptured big time. That he was yeah. feeling pain all the way up in his upper calf. Yeah, because well, at, at first the people on the broadcast thought it might have just been a, a cramp in his calf, right? When right, he first right. went down. So, but that's a big loss for them. That that's a it's it is a big loss for them for sure. But look, I, I think this is going to be a highly competitive game. I just you know I I don't I just don't know what you're going to get with the Steelers. That's the problem. Well, you know one thing they're ne- they never blow anybody out. So right off the bat, no. you know you're getting a close game. <laughs> yes, no doubt, hundred percent. But hundred percent. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, as a fan, I always tend to be the optimist. My father is always the pessimist. Um, but I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I mean, normally I'm like, yeah, we're going to win. We got this. We, we got a really good team. They just got to put it all together, this and that. But I mean, I just, 
there's just so much uncertainty with this team. You know, they, they haven't been the same on defense since Bud Dupree went out. That was a huge loss for them. And again, I don't know how many times we've said this on this podcast, probably enough where people might be taking their headphones out and tuning out when I repeat this for maybe the 15th time. But yeah, Kansas City has Mahomes, but they won that Super Bowl because of a fantastic performance from Damian Williams. So even the teams that can pass the ball at will need a running game when you come to the playoffs. Pittsburgh, just for just for perspective, I'll give you a stat that's mind-boggling. Pittsburgh this year has 1,367 rushing yards. 1,367. The Baltimore Ravens have 1,355 in their last five games. That goes to show you how horrid Pittsburgh's running game has been. So I don't care what kind of a defense you're playing against. I don't care what kind of an offense you're playing against. I don't care if the team you're playing against doesn't have their head coach. If you become too one-dimensional on offense, the defense is going to know how to stop you. So they need some way to be able to establish the running game. I mean, whether they run more, you know, if, if normally all their runs come out of the shotgun. Whether they get under center and utilize the fullback more, maybe they do some different things on the offensive line schematic-wise. Maybe you have certain guys pulling to a different side of the line, whatever it takes. But you're going to need to get the running game going on Pittsburgh. If they don't, then I really don't know what my confidence level is in this team because when you become one, two, one, two, one dimensional, I just think you're easy to shut down. And you saw that when Pittsburgh went on their three-game losing streak. Defenses adjusted to what they were doing, and they were able to stop them. Yeah, well, you know, Pittsburgh hasn't had a running game pretty much the entire season themselves. So, look, I, I, I don't think they're going to try and establish a running game against the Browns and Steelers. They're not. They don't have one. They'll they'll try and run the ball just to try and keep a little bit of balance, but they're going to be off balance. It's it's probably going to be forty passes and fifteen runs. That's all it's going to be, you know. Because look, the, the Steelers use their dink and dunk game as an extension to their running game, and you'll probably see Juju Smith Schuster, you know, underneath, uh, you know, with those intermediate routes. And be honest with you, <laughs> if De- Deontay Johnson is going to drop a couple of balls in this game, it could cost them. Right. That kid's had the dropsies. So. Well, you know what? If you're not going to try to establish the running game and you're going to go with the dink and dunk, then you know what? You have to be able to throw the ball down the field a little bit to push the defense back so you can be able to use the dink and dunk and, and, and kind of exchange that as your running game. If you're not going to throw the ball down the field and you're just going to try to dink and dunk all game, you're not going to score any points. It's just not going to happen. No. No, it's not going to happen. So I could, I could certainly see this, like I said, being – I'd almost wouldn't be surprised if, you know, last team with the ball wins the game. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't argue with you. So let's do this, okay? We'll have a contest. We'll pick the spreads on these games. And um, so I'm kind of thinking of this on the fly. How should we do this to – we could do this the way that me and a couple of buddies of mine, we have a little bit of a pool where we pick three games per weekend. One is a one-point play, one's a two-point play, and one's a three-point play. And whoever has the most points at the end wins. So we could do it that way. We could pick every single game and see whose record is is better at the end of the playoffs. But if we do that, then we run the possibility of us taking the same picks in every game, and then no one gains any ground. So what, what do you think would be the better option to do that? Uh, I like going picking, you know, you pick a one-point game, a two-point game, and a three-point game. Okay, and then obviously when when you get down to the weekend where there's only two games, there'll only be a two-point 
game and a three-point game, and in the Super Bowl, it'll be only a three-point game. Right. Okay. All right, so would you like to go for – I already – because we we're doing this in my other league, so I already know what my picks are. So you want me to go first, or do you want to go first? Uh, go ahead. You go first. All right. So my one-point game for the wild card round is going to be the Rams plus three and a half. Um, you've seen the Rams' defense and their ability to hold Seattle specifically off the scoreboard. Russell Wilson has really fallen off in the past few weeks. We talked about how Seattle's offense has been stagnant down the stretch here. Uh, I don't necessarily care who's playing at quarterback for the Rams, whether it's Goff, whether it's Walford. I don't care. I think I'd actually, I think it would be beneficial if Walford does play because you have more capability on offense if Goff's not going to be able to take snaps under center. But I just see this being a close game. I could see it being a field goal game, and that hook, that three and a half, instead of it being at a flat three, makes me side with the Rams. So Rams plus three and a half is my one-point play. My two-point play is going to be the Washington football team plus eight. And I said it before. I just think that Washington's defense is going to be able to hold Tom Brady and the Bucks in check. Whether they're able to score enough points to be competitive, that's the only question. But, you know, I could see this being a close game and um, and Alex Smith maybe doing enough to keep this within 10 points. So I'll take Washington in the eight points. And then my three-point pick and. If I had a guess, I'd say this is probably going to be your three-point pick, too. It's the Bills minus six and a half. I mean, the Bills just played a meaningless game on Sunday against the Dolphins where they could have rested their starters. They didn't. They ended up playing their starters, and they put up 56 points against a division rival. I mean, it, that that offense is just clicking on all cylinders. You see how important Stephon Diggs is to that team. Sean McDermott's a terrific head coach. They have the playoff experience, haven't been there. Uh, Brian Dable, tremendous offensive mind. And that defense is starting to come along. Uh Philip Rivers in a big game. No, thank you. I'll take the other side of that that wager every single time. So, one point play Rams plus three and a half. Two point play Washington football team plus eight. Three point play is the Bills minus six and a half. So all three of my plays on Saturday, so I could sit back on Sunday and relax until eight fifteen when I'm probably going to shed ten years off my life watching the Steelers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to come into this my one point pick being the Cleveland Browns. You know, that line really didn't adjust all that much, even with Stefan, even with the news of Stefanski not being able to coach in this game because of the COVID, as we mentioned. I just feel like Cleveland will be scaling back a little bit, not trying to throw the ball so much downfield, but like I said, running the ball more. I think it'll keep the Steelers a little bit off balance. And again, one thing that's that shows it, it, with the Steelers defense is that they are vulnerable against the run. And I kind of think that Cleveland will not make the ball uh, will not put the ball in Mayfield's hands 30 to 35 times a game. I don't think, and, unless somehow, some way within the first quarter, they're down 21 nothing, 17 nothing. Then they have to probably start throwing the ball. But I think from the get go, they're going to establish a run and they're going to stay with the run with the two headed monster of Chubb and Hunt, as I mentioned earlier. So a one point pick will be Cleveland. I just don't, I just haven't seen enough from the Steelers to make me think blowout. I haven't. I, it's, you know, over the last four or five weeks, they played one good half of football, the Steelers. And I don't think all of a sudden they're going to turn on the Jets and all of a sudden find their offensive game, especially when they sat guys last week. Your so brother-in-law your brother -in -law, Dean doesn't listen to the podcast, does he? He's going to want to wring your neck. That's all right. <laughs> no, listen, I tell you the truth, they're, 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 they're honest Steelers fans, you know. They're, they're no, even I know. My friends, 
my buddy Joe Moe, he's a huge Steeler fan too, and he said it too. He goes, I can see the Steelers losing this team, especially now that Stefanski's out. Because the Steelers, what do they do? They, they play down they, the competition. Exactly. And when they hear something like this, all of a sudden it's a let-up. But we'll see. But anyway, my two-point my two-point pick is going to be the Bills. <clears throat> Minus the, was it six and a half we said, right? Yes. Yeah, I, I just... You know, like you said, they didn't even rest their guys for the most part in the beginning of that game. They went on an all-out assault on Miami. All-out assault. So, you know, Josh Allen looks terrific. They got enough of a running game with, with Singletary and, and Moss. They signed Kenny Stills now. So now they have John Brown coming back with Kenny Stills, Stefan Diggs, and Gabriel D- Davis has looked terrific. John Brown Dawson, caught a touch, touchdown coming back last weekend. Dawson Knox, good tight end, solid offensive line. Leslie Frazier has the defense playing better than what they played in the beginning of the season. So the defense has been playing well as well. So I, I don't see the Colts staying in this game. I can't see Phillip Rivers keeping the Colts in this game. I just don't see it happening. So I'm going Bills big here in this game and giving the six and a half. My three-point pick, I'm sorry, again, I'm going to say it, going to beat Tampa. I'm sorry, especially after what happened last week with Washington, who looked god-awful horrendous in this game against Philadelphia, who was basically handing them the game on a silver platter, and Washington still barely could take advantage of it. Alice Smith will not be healthy enough. They have enough of a pass rush, Tampa, enough of a defense Nobody scares me on that team offensively on Washington. Antonio Gibson's a good running back, but he's been unhealthy the last few weeks. J.D. McKissick is good coming out of the backfield, scat back type of back. Um, Terry McLaurin, solid receiver. But Alex Smith has to have to have enough time and mobility to get the ball down the field to him. Logan Thomas has played very well for Washington as well. But Tom Brady just has too many weapons at his disposal. I mean, who are they covering downfield? For God's sake, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski, Cameron Brait, Scotty Miller. Scotty Miller coming out of the backfield with Fournette and Ronald Jones. There's just too much there. There's too much there. This game, like I said earlier, is a 34-16 game. 34-16. And I'm giving Washington 16 points. So I gladly lady eight with Tom Brady there. He's on a mission, and I don't think, uh, you know, Chase Young coming out and, and making a proclamation of, I want Tom, I want to get to Tom. Well, listen, be careful what you wish for, young man. Careful what you wish for. This guy's yeah. got six Super Bowls. That might have been a little ill-advised. <laughs> be careful. You know, relax. Temper yourself here, guy. You've done nothing in this league yet. Yes, you're a hell of a player, but you've done nothing yet. So let's let's not get that crazy here. So those are my three picks. So you got the Browns as your one, the Bills as your two. Bills as my two, Tampa as my three. All right. So we'll see what the standings are going into next weekend. All right. So listen, we came into this season with similar expectations for the Knicks that we did with the Giants, right? We wanted to see progress. Well, I don't know exactly what your definition of progress is. But whatever it is, the Knicks have definitely shown it over the first seven games of this season. Now, Thibodeau, again, it's early. 
but he's shown that he's a coach. He knows how to coach. Guys are just in the right space at the right time. That's coaching. The schematics are perfect. Yeah, has Kevin Knox really shown you a lot? No, he hasn't. Has R.J. Barrett shown you some games where he looks like he's a is a bona fide scorer? Yeah, he's had other games where he shot one for 14. Growing pains, you're going to have that, right? But this team is is together as a unit. Julius Randle has been on a tear so far this season. They beat one of the best teams in basketball on the Milwaukee Bucks. They come back with a big-time victory the overnight over the Hawks where they were trailing by a significant amount in the second quarter, and they were able to come back. They were down 15 in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Yeah, they were down early. They brought it back. They fell behind again in the fourth, and they came back again. This team has been really exciting. And look, you came into the season with expectations that were not very high. You just wanted to see progress. And they've been exciting. And you know what? All you want is exciting basketball because as long as there's something, we keep saying that they need to build through the draft the right way and supplement with the free agents. The only way you're going to be able to supplement with the free agents is if there's some sort of promise. And with the core that they have right now, even though it's early in the season, there's been promise. So I think you could say that so far through the first seven games, it looks like they knocked it out of the park with Thibodeau. You haven't really been able to see too much of the rookies. Obi Toppin's still been out with an injury. Emmanuel quickly came back from an injury, and he played a really good game against the Hawks the other night. He had, uh, I believe it was 16 points he had. He able to shoot the ball from downtown pretty well. So the team is clicking right now. It's exciting, and they're playing competitive basketball. And as we're talking right now, they're actually playing against the Jazz, and they have a 78-75 lead going into the fourth quarter against the Utah Jazz, who are expected to be you know, a top five or six team in the Western Conference. So hey, all you're Julius asking... Randall, Julius Randle has another double-double again tonight. So, yeah, yeah. like you said earlier... And a, chance for, a triple du- chance for a triple-double because he's yeah. got six assists too. Got six assists, so he's playing terrific. You know, and, and again, you got the shooting pains of R.J. Barrett. He's 4 of 12 tonight so far. He's only got nine points. But look, like you said, it's some growing pains. It happens sometimes. But you know what? The kid's a competitor. You could see it. And my God, what, what a difference... A coach makes it's unreal. And I said that in the beginning, Andrew. You have yourself a professional coach. And Knicks have not had that in years since Mike Woodson. Since Mike Woodson, they really have not had a professional coach. Jeff Hornacek, David Fisdale. I mean, come on. Derek Fisher. I mean, come on. You know, these weren't professional coaches. Tom Thibodeau is a professional coach. And I tell you what, again, much like the Giants, I said it too with the Knicks, Andrew, it's progress. Just show us progress. And again, it's only, what is it, eight games in? So Tonight is game number eight. That's it. But you know what? You're starting to see that you're starting to see the way basketball should be played. Because the Knicks have not played that way over the last few years. <laughs> right. Emmanuel quickly looks like a steal so far. And the kids had said all the right things. Every time he's interviewed, said all the right things. Thibodeau has trusted him. Austin Rivers has played well. Doc Rivers' son, he's played well. So, look, I mean, the Knicks still need uh, another bona fide player. They need another bona fide player. Now, obviously, we're not getting that in free agency. So they're going to have to build it through a draft. They're going to have to build it through a draft. Because, you know, anybody that's on this roster right now, I mean, I, I, Barrett, I think, will be a very good player. 
Is he going to be elite? I don't see him being elite. I see him being as a very good piece. That's what I see him being, a very good piece. Julius Randle's a very good player. He's a good player, Julius Randle. And I'll tell you what, they're even getting contributions from Alfred Payton, too. Alfred Payton's played well. Yeah. So, you know, look, uh, again, it's progress. It's just, you know, the Knicks fan would love to see the Knicks, even if they they play in that play-in game that they have now in the playoffs, or maybe as a seven or an eight seed. So what? That's, that'd be terrific. That's progress. That's progress. And that's so, all you were expecting coming into this season. Like we said this continuously it. with the Giants. You just got to see some steps in the right direction because right. whatever has been going on for the past five years and with the Knicks, it's been even longer. Whatever that was, it wasn't progress. No. So you're finally seeing some promising signs. And you just got to take it. You know what you want? And Michael K said this, and he put it the best way possible. You want to be able to turn on MSG at 7 o'clock or 7.30 during a weeknight and be able to watch entertaining basketball. And it seems like such a little ask, but the Knicks haven't been able to do that for you in such a long time. And right now you're getting that. You're getting able to see some, you're, you're able to see some competitive basketball and an entertaining two and a half, three hours. And you're seeing some strides. So Thibodeau is a good coach. They're getting contributions from the young guys. They're getting contributions from some of the free agents that are not really here long-term that are kind of expendable. So, you know, you see what happens. There's no star-studded core, but everybody's contributing. You're seeing some progress and some development from certain guys. They're certainly going out there with the idea that they're going to win the game. And one of the players said the other day that they just feel like they have a good game plan with Thibodeau and that every time they take the floor, they have a chance to win. When was the last time you thought the Knicks had a chance to win, no matter who they were playing? You never had that feeling. Now you go in and you feel like they're going to win the game or they have a chance to win the game because they're well coached and you know that they're going to go out there and they're going to play 48 minutes of basketball. And that's a good thing. Yeah, that's a great thing. You know, nothing wrong with that. (laughs) You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Listen, you can't ask for more than that with the with the roster construction right now because it's not it's not a very talented team. So you can't ask for much more than that. Uh, no, you you can't. Like I said, all we're doing is asking for progress. We just we want to see steps being made by the Mitchell Robinsons of the world, by the R.J. Barretts of the world, by the Kevin Knox and Emmanuel Quickleys of the world. That's what we need to see. We need to see progress there. That's what we need to see. That's it. And- and as far as the other team in MSG, the Rangers have opened camp and they're starting to practice. And we're starting to see some of the guys, seeing some clips of Shesterkin making a couple of nice saves um, right in the crease on Capo Caco, who tried well, look, to lift the top before, shelf on before him. We, before we get into the Rangers, I, I do want to say one thing, and we have, to, we have to congratulate the world junior gold medal champion, United States. All right. Team. Right. At the fe- I watched that game last night that defeated Canada. First five, six minutes of that game, Canada was all over the U.S., and all of a sudden they found their game, man, and they were terrific the entire game. Uh, shut out by Spencer Knight. He's a uh, Los Angeles Kings goalie uh, prospect. Um, so they, they played a terrific game, those young kids, and they beat Canada once again for a gold medal. It's, I think, believe the third or fourth time. They've beaten Canada in a gold medal round. So kudos to the United States. We take the gold medal. Good for those kids. Absolutely. Played their hearts out. It was Played a good showing. Out. They were represented by a couple of Rangers with Hunter Skinner and, and Brett Barad. And Brett Barad was relentless in this tournament. I watched a lot of these games in this tournament. 
Brett Barad looks like he could be a solid pick for the Rangers. Because and he's a he's a huge body, isn't he? He's a he's a pretty decent sized kid, but he is relentless on the boards. Relentless. Oh, no, who who am I? Then I I have the I have a mistaken. Then who is, <laughs> who's the six foot seven at, guy that they just drafted? Uh, I thought it was Barad, but I could be wrong. No, it wasn't Barad. Barad's not six foot seven. Uh, I'm actually gonna look up their draft class right now. You're not talking about the Wiley, Wiley, no. You're not talking about him. Braden no. Schneider was a defenseman who was a physical defenseman. He played. He had a good tournament for Canada. Braden Schneider, physical kid, which the Rangers could use on the back line there. So, oh, um, Matt Rempe, six foot oh, eight. Six foot eight. Yeah, he's the uh, he's a center that they drafted. They drafted him with the pick right after Berard. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I had the guys mixed up. But yeah, yeah so. Because so Berard, Berard was a guy that, you know, some people question the pick, too, because they seem to have a lot of depth as far as the wing is concerned. Uh, and they took two wings early on in the draft. So that was a little bit of a questionable pick by some of the writers that I was following during the draft. But you're just hoping that these guys could be contributors. You're not it's not often you're going to find superstars that late in the draft. But and in fact, there's a lot of there's a lot of big name prospects that are contributing all around the world. Juniors that are sitting in. um that are sitting in the farm systems of some of these teams. So looks like the future is bright as far as the, the young players coming up in the NHL in the near future. Yeah. All right. So back to the Rangers. Go ahead. Let's. Oh, I was well, just saying that I saw some clips of Shesterkin who was making a couple of nice saves from close range uh, when the Rangers were playing a little inter-squad game. One in particular on Capo Kako, who made a nice move, got close to the crease, tried to lift the top shelf, and Shesterkin stopped him. Um, so he, you know, he's looking good. And, you know, I thought Shesterkin, he said something that really kind of raised my eyebrows today. Um, when he was talking to reporters about being a starting goaltender and, um, about Henrik Lundqvist and what's going on with, you know, Lundqvist with his open heart surgery that he needs and, uh, Igor wished him well. And he said, uh, he doesn't consider himself the number one goalie with Hank gone. I think we have two really good goalies who are going to do whatever it takes to help the team win. So he's basically just giving a nod to Georgiev. And I thought that that was a classy response from him. Now, ultimately, we all expect and believe that Shesterkin is going to be the number one guy. But it shows you that the kid is not coming in cocky with a chip on his shoulder. He's just going to do whatever the team asks of him to win. And I think that's the mentality you have to have when you have a young team. Just go out there and do your best to win and put your team in a position for success. I thought that that was a good comment from Shesterkin. But listen, it it all comes down to progress from last season. They're coming back with a lot of the same faces. Obviously, you had the number one pick in the draft, Lafreniere, to the mix. And you see what he's going to be able to contribute. You, know, you saw promising signs, even though that they were swept by the Hurricanes in the play-in round of the Stanley Cup playoffs uh, once they went into the bubble. You know, one promising sign was that Capo Caco was one of the best, if not the best player on the ice, who had a lot of struggles early on last season. So you see some progress from the younger guys. You know, Chris Kreider, totally healthy coming back from that foot injury last season. So, you know, it's, it's a loaded division, and they're going to need to get off to a hot start with a shortened season and being that they're playing a lot of the same teams when they're you know relegated to their separate divisions where they're only playing those teams in the division. And it's a tough division. It's a loaded division where they're playing the Islanders, who are a playoff team, and Pittsburgh, who's a playoff team. So they got their work cut out for them, and they can't afford to start off slow. Yeah, no, they have their work cut out for them, and they, and they need to see progress from some of these young players, like you mentioned, Capo Caco, who probably was – Believe it or not, their best forward in in the bubble games against Carolina. 
Kako finally looked like he found his legs and he found his game here. So we need him to step up as well as Philip Heedle's another one who could be a force, Philip Heedle. You know, Philip Heedle has a ton of potential here. So um, with him there and obviously Alexi Lafreniere, uh, their first-round pick, Rangers have a good uh, – I, I mean, they have a solid nucleus of young talent here. And, again, it's going to come down to building that fourth line, which I've always mentioned. Then you're going to need that gritty line. And I've read today that they've been in touch with Brian Boyle, who wouldn't be bad to bring back on a fourth line, especially a guy that could take some face-offs because God knows the Rangers were god-awful last year on face-offs. Their best face-off guy was Brett Howden last year, and he only took about 65 of them. So um, bringing back a guy like Boyle would kind of, you know, it, it would give you a good start to a fourth line there. Um, look, with the Rangers, their defense could be a problem. And that's, you know, right now you're looking at Tony. Tony D'Angelo's flipping over to the left side to play on the first, that first pairing with Jacob Truba. You're probably going to have Fox and Lindgren together. And then after that, you know, the Jack Johnsons of the world, the Brendan Smiths, man, that just doesn't cut it. You know, no, you're going gonna to hope that Keandre Miller really in, uh, amounts to something. Yeah. And that's the thing that Jeff Gordon said yesterday. He, they expect Keandre Miller to make this team, which would be terrific because look, Jack Johnson was by far the worst defenseman in the league the last couple of years. Right. He was, bought, he was bought out by a team that has defensive struggles. Right. So that tells you everything you need to know. That, we got rid of a bad defenseman in Mark Stoll, and we brought in even a worse defenseman in Jack Johnson. But the only thing is, look, he's not guaranteed a lot of money. So if you have to sit him as a seventh or eighth defenseman, whatever, that's fine. And keep him on the bench in the event of some injuries. I'd rather just see you play the young kids. And, and and go with go with that. Go with the kids that have the talent, as opposed to the Jack Johnson or look Brendan Smith. I don't mind as much, but you can't give Brendan Smith top minutes like they were giving him last year on that first pairing with Jacob Truba. You just can't do that. And look in gold, Andrew. They got you know with Shesterkin and and Gorgiev. You know that's that's a pretty good two headed monster right there. And you're going to see Gorgiev. He's going to play games. He's going to play some games here. So absolutely, you know, you, know, you you're gonna you're probably gonna see for every three games, Shostak gonna play two, Gorgi ever play one, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so I, I found it interesting too. It's it's only a couple days into practice, and they're playing the you know the inter squad games and everything. But in in both days, um, the pairings that they've had with um, or the lines that they've had on offense, they've had Lafreniere partnered up with Heedle as the center and Julian Gauthier on the right wing. So you're putting three young guys. I mean, he he's young, but he's the veteran of the group because obviously he has some NHL experience. The other guys don't have much. You know, Gautier played in, in the, at the end of last season for the Rangers, didn't get much time in the NHL with the Hurricanes. I believe he only had about 12, 12 games in the NHL with them. So you're putting two young guys on Heedle, so or alongside Heedle. So what that's telling me is that they really expect him to take a jump and really turn into someone they can look to be the number two center on this team. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, look, they're so, they're solid as far as their their forwards are concerned. Their biggest concern is going to be the defense. That's their biggest concern is going to be on the defense. But they also look at they, they they also have to teach these young kids to play in the defensive part of the zone too. You know, this game isn't just about scoring goals; it's about preventing them too. And the right. Rangers have the Rangers can't have what they've had over the past couple of years, where they're going to subject their goalie 
to a shooting barrage every single night of 40 to 45 to 50 shots on goal. You, you, you can't do that and survive. You cannot right. do that. So, so, so these young players, they need to be taught that it's not all about everything going on in the offensive zone. You need to learn to play in the defensive zone. And not only that, you need to play 200 feet of hockey here. You know, you need to play up and down. You need to play in all facets of, of, of the ice. So, you know, they have to learn that, these young kids. Um, look, Lafreniere looks like, I mean, you, you watch that kid when he played in the World Juniors and everything you hear about this kid. Not only is he just a dynamic player, but he's an intense player that plays on the edge. And I've said this for a while here, Andrew, the Rangers need players like that. And you heard David Quinn say it yesterday. He reiterated it. He said, the way we play it in the bubble is unacceptable. You cannot play that hot, especially now, 56 games. Every single game is a playoff game. 56 games here. Every game. You can't afford a two or three game losing streak here. No, especially not. And and you're only playing the teams in your division. So when you lose games, the other teams are gaining ground on you, undoubtedly. Right, undoubtedly. So you know you you, ha- you have to be careful. You can't afford these sort of losing streaks. So, um, look, I, I I think the Rangers are going to make the playoffs. I'm not just saying that because I'm a Ranger fan, but I, I do think they're going to make the playoffs. I really, really do. I feel like they're a good enough team to make the playoffs. And I feel like they're equalized. I think as as below average as they might be defensively, if a kid like Keandre Miller, and I wouldn't expect a lot from him early on, I would think he'd get better midway through the season. If he starts off with the team to play some games, I think I think it'll be the betterment to the Rangers uh, for the long haul. And I, I think with, with the two-headed monster of Shesterkin and, and Georgiev, that I think that that'll kind of offset whatever poor play they get defensively. Yeah, and if you're gonna if you're gonna get poor play defensively, and you're gonna subject your goaltender to 35, 40 shots a game, which is not ideal, at least you have two capable goaltenders where you can keep each guy fresh so that they'll be able to survive if they're facing that many shots a night. Right. Yeah, and you know they're young kids, so um, they'll be able to withstand it. They'll be able to withstand it, but you just, you know, you, again, you have to play with a little bit of an edge every game, especially with these teams that are playing in your division now. Capitals are a team that plays gritty on the edge. The Islanders, for sure. Uh, the Devils, uh, you know, you don't know what you get out of the Devils there. You know, the Penguins, eh, I, I kind of think the Penguins will be the team to take the, a couple of steps back. I just do. I do. They were always susceptible to injuries. Um, I kind of think they'll be that team to take a step back, the Penguins. And they're getting a lot older now. They're getting a little bit older now. The Flyers with Vigneault there no longer play on the edge. <laughs> we know that. Vigneault never let us play on the edge. So, But the Flyers have a talented team. So, look, like I said, you know, 56 games in your division, every game means something here, Andrew. Every single game. You cannot afford to take a night off here in the NHL this year. You can't. And that's 
that's why Quinn needs to ensure that everybody's on their P's and Q's and is able to get right for the regular season because you cannot afford a slow start if you want to get into the postseason. So these guys need to become acclimated with each other, with the coaching staff. The young guys need to understand what it's like to play in the pros and what's going to be asked of them. And like you said, you know, you you open the season 0-3 or 1-4. and You're basically on, you're on life support and the you're season just basically started. You're, you're in trouble. Look, it, it, to me... In my opinion, the 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 two biggest, um, the two the two players on this roster right now that I feel will make the Rangers a better team would be to see Kako and Heedle take that next step. They Absolutely. take that next step. You're talking about three lines now. You're talking about three lines because from all account. You've seen that Heedle will probably center the third line with Lafreniere and Julian Gauthier, who I liked. I like Julian Gauthier. I like that kid. He's got some size. He's got some toughness. He likes to go to the net. I like Julian Gauthier. Um, so you're, you're talking about three lines, three solid lines right now. If, if Kako could take that next step, and he probably will be playing in place of uh, Jesper Foster on that second line with, with Panarin and Strom, um, you're you're going to be seeing the Rangers take them big big steps because then the opposing coaches could no longer just match up on a nightly basis with any one line, you know, right? So, um, well, and and the fourth line needs shoring up too. And from everything I read, it sounds like um, you know we we both have made it known that we're not huge fans of Brett Howden as the fourth line center. Uh, looks like he has competition this camp. Looks like they're giving Morgan Barron a really good chance to win that fourth center spot. Yeah, I mean, why not? Because Howden really has never stepped up. You know, he hasn't. Uh, he, he's not a good skater. He's just, you know, I, I don't know what it is about him, but David Quinn loves that kid. Loves him. I don't know what it is, but nobody else sees what David Quinn sees. So I, I, I just don't see what he sees in that kid, but uh, I, I I would hope that a kid like Morgan Barron could step up, or for the most part, I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't mind the Brian Boyle signing. I I miss Brian Boyle when the Rangers let him go. I, re- yeah, I really did. I, he was I one of my him. favorites when he was on the team. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with having a veteran presence there, especially on the fourth line, especially on a guy that can play a fourth line. He can kill penalties. He can take faceoffs if he if he has to. He can, he can even step up into a third or a second line role. Boy, Brian Boyle. For a game or two, if need be, right? You know, well, we've been we've been saying a, a real a real detriment has been the fact that you have young, inexperienced guys playing the tough, gritty minutes. That's not ideal. You want right. seasoned veterans, guys who have been there and done that, and know what it takes to win in the trenches and those tough moments. And guys like Brett Howden and the you know, uh, I'm trying to think of other guys who are playing on the fourth line that really haven't amounted to anything. You know, the, the Tim Gettingers and those guys, that's not going to get it done. Yeah, I like D. Giuseppe. I think D. Giuseppe is a solid piece to play on the fourth line. But as far as the guy who's going to be manning that line in the center position, I haven't seen enough from Howden. So give Barron every opportunity in the world. And there's also the, the kid that they're giving a shot to, Kodorenko, the kid that they signed out of Michigan State. He's older, obviously not a ton of upside. He's already 22 years old and has no NHL experience. But you know, if one of these guys is going to go out there and prove to you that they can do the dirty work, then you know what? They deserve an opportunity. 
Yeah, the good thing is now too, you're gonna have a taxi squad. So right. So you know that could benefit a team like the Rangers. So I right, well look, we we open up uh, next uh, a week from tomorrow actually against the Islanders. So that'll be fun and back to back games against the Islanders, no less. Let me tell you something. If the the pandemic wasn't going on and Madison Square Garden had fans, this place would be rocking right now with the way that the Knicks are playing right now. They got oh, a five yeah. point five point lead, three minutes forty seconds left in the fourth quarter. Yeah, no, I I got it on the I got it on the TV on mute actually right now. So yeah, big three pointer just now from Austin Rivers to give him a five point lead. Yeah, no, it's it's been a lot of fun to watch the Knicks. I'll be honest with you, it's been a lot of fun. So. Yeah, they're doing they're doing everything right, which is not something that you've been able to see about the Knicks recently. They're doing I hate the right thing. uniforms. I really do. Say? I hate the uniforms. The Knicks? Oh my God, they got awful. Yeah, I don't like them either. Oh, they got awful those uniforms. Just go back to the old fashioned Nick uniform, please. Yeah, blue blue jerseys, orange lettering. They're fine. The normal. I like the I like the Knicks with like the bat the ball going through the basket underneath. Those I like. Or just the plain whites with the orange lettering that says New York. That's all you need. I don't like these uniforms either. You know, the NBA is really trying to get very, very modern with these uniforms, and a lot of them are just so hideous, it's unbelievable. Yeah, there's one there's one uniform that the Nets are wearing. It looks like it looks like a toddler like scribbled on the jersey with a Crayola. Like, it's just like, it spells Brooklyn, but it doesn't spell Brooklyn correctly. Like, it's like shortened. It says B-K-L-Y-N. And the, the letters are all lopsided, and there's like spots of different rainbow colors along the side. Oh, my God, it's a terrible uniform. I don't know who thought it was a good idea to do that, but they're hideous. But a lot of these uniforms are nowadays. I like the old-fashioned uniforms, too. I'm a purist when it comes to that. I just got myself, uh, I ordered a, a, a Walt Frazier uh, classic Nick jersey. He was always my favorite, Nick Walt Frazier. Walt Frazier and Bob McAdoo back in the day, too. Do you think that Walt Frazier is a terrible announcer? I love Walt. I, I, I love Clyde. Oh, I can't stand him. I love him. Nothing he, against him as a person. I'm sure he's a very nice guy. Running and gunning, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Dishing and swishing. Dishing and swishing. I, I got to find the text. Let me. I actually got to find it. Because I. he's always... Boom. Awesome. He's always pissed me off. Wow. From deep. Hmm. I tell you, Austin Rivers has no conscience. Let me see here. I'm trying to find... I, I try to find this text. Oh, here it is. Okay, it was in my group chat last week. So I was watching the Knicks game. There was nothing really else to watch. I watched the whole entire Knicks game, and I wrote down every dumb line that Clyde Frazier used during the game. Oh, and God. I got them all written down here. So he said, wackity hackity. Now, do you want me to do it in the Walt Frazier voice or just read them normally? I feel like the, the voice might do it, give it a little bit of an effect. I don't know if it's going to justify it. <laughs> wackity hackity. He said, dishing and swishing, swishing and dishing. So he switched it up on us there. He got creative. Swooping and hooping, wheeling and dealing, toasting and posting, running and gunning, hustling and bustling, curling and swirling, spinning and winning. Cruising and bruising, slicing and dicing. And right as I sent that full entire list, he came up with another one, and it was mauling and appalling. By the way, Austin Rivers just banged down another three. He's unconscious right now, Austin Look Rivers. He's, you know, he's, 
Now I'm, watch, I'm watching this live with you. He's going to have a heat check right now. I'm giving you baskets that actually occurred. They didn't go in and out. They didn't rim off the rim. Oh, here we go. Baskets that actually went in. They actually scored the ball, as they say. Scored what's, the ball. What's more exciting, someone hitting a three-pointer or someone coming this close to making a shot from the opposite baseline? I think the almost is a little bit more exciting. Yeah, no, almost. No. Come on. How many three-pointers did we see in the NBA on a nightly basis? There's probably 253 pointers that were made tonight. What makes that one so special? Coming down to under two minutes left, you know? And they got a nine-point nine lead now. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, some phony call the ref just calls. Unreal. These refs suck. Every ref sucks. Every umpire sucks. They all suck. They really do. And they just got a odd. Uh, oh, what a block by Robinson, too. I tell you. We should we should do a broadcast of a game. <laughs> there you go. So I and can I do the play. You, every, time, every time I see Rudy Gobert now, it just reminds me of that night of the podcast. See, I could do the play-by-play, and you can be in the background. As long as you don't hit me with the swish and addition, then I'm good. <laughs> as long as you don't do that, then I, I won't put a bullet through your head. I'm fine. But, yeah, you know, it's funny. I was actually... I was actually watching, they did a, an ESPN Films Presents or something like that the other night, and they were basically, it was called March 11th, 2020, and they were kind of running through the events of that night. And I remember being on the air with you, and the game was delayed, and it said that the, the Jazz and the Thunder were waiting for NBA clearance to start the game, and we were wondering, like, what the hell is going on? And at that point, everyone started kind of talking about coronavirus, but no one really understood the threat that it posed and, like, how serious it was going to get. And I just remember, you know, you heard that he tested positive. You heard that the game was canceled. And we were wondering, like, oh, I wonder what kind of can of worms this is going to open up. And then we get off the air. And then later on that night, the NBA suspends their season. And I, that, was, that wasn't even crossed my mind as a possibility that that was going to happen. And then that was it, one by one. You know, MLB shut down. NHL shut down. NCAA tournament was called off. And everything just kind of fell into place and now we're all we're, we're here where we are today that was that was a crazy night yeah that was crazy all right so uh, i you know we really don't have much movement in baseball at all i tell you there's nothing going on and it's no, pretty very much, quiet it's pretty much what we were we, we were projecting a few weeks back where you know we, we kind of felt like this might linger on because I, I i just think these players really expect something to change or they're waiting for something to change and you know what nothing's changing no, nothing is changing here. Nothing. You're not going to have fans in the stands. We're not. We we're not going to know probably until June or July if you're going to have some fans in the stands. And even if you do, it's going to be limited. So whatever's out there in the way of a contract, I mean, from all we hear now is that the the Blue Jays do have a five year offer, but significantly lower than the 150 million that that uh, Springer was evidently looking for. But otherwise, the, the Trevor Bowers of the world, the JT Real Mutos, it ain't out there. And I don't know what they're expecting. I don't know what they're expecting. I, what do you expect to change at this point? No, nothing's going to change. I think that all these teams are in the same boat. I think that all these teams are showing a little bit of interest in these players. But they don't want to come with an offer because they're unsure of how much money they should be willing to spend because they don't know how much actual interest is out there. So, for instance, like look at the Mets, for example. They're interested in George Springer, right? 
and Springer's asking for $150 million. Now, the Mets can certainly afford to give him that $150 million. Steve Cohen wasn't affected by the pandemic, so he has the financial flexibility to pull that off. But what, are they really going to match that asking price of $150 million if there's no other real interest in him? No, they're not going to do it. And I think that's what's happening for a lot of these free agents is that teams are definitely interested, but they're they're hesitant to make an offer because they don't know how much other interest is out there and they're not willing they're not they don't know how much how high they should be willing to go because they're not sure of that interest and it's just kind of a cycle and that's why we're we're sitting stagnant and there's been really no movement no i mean look <laughs> like look at the yankees for example with dj lemayhu right they've yeah. been hesitant to meet to, to match his asking price if the yankees knew that there was legitimate competition out there i'm sure that they would probably match it but they don't, so they're standing firm right now, and that's why you haven't heard a peep about DJ LeMayhew. We're just sitting here at a standstill, and it doesn't seem like there's going to be a resolution anytime soon. You know, you, you hear a couple of people talk about, you know, how Steve Cohn doesn't want to ruffle any feathers of, of the owners by by just throwing money around um, carelessly. You know, I think that's nonsense, though. If he thought that was going to improve the team, I think he would do it. Yeah, I, I I tell you the truth, I I think that has some merit, Andrew. I really do. I think that has some merit. I really well, what, do. What 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 would the what would the the downside be to him ticking off the owners? They already yeah. approved them. Well, listen, he doesn't want one against thirty-one. I mean, you know, you know what I mean. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want that. He so he's not just going to throw his money around irresponsibly and just start throwing money around when most of these other owners lost a ton of money last season. And not only that, and then you read today that 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 uh, Steve Cohn made one point six billion dollars in the year twenty twenty. So basically, he's only eight and a half million short of what he paid for the Mets. He made last year in one year one point six billion dollars. Yep. Now, if he really wanted to throw that money around, he would have did it by now. He would have gave Bauer his money. He would have gave Springer his money. Would have gave Lemayhu his money. I think there's certainly some merit to that. I, I really do. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how much though, because I, I just I, that would be careless. He wants to. He's been very firm since day one on saying that he wants to create sustained success throughout all levels of the organization, not just the the product on the major league field, but he wants to replenish the farm system and he wants to beef up the analytics department and he wants to get the best of the best as far as scouting and evaluating and developing talent. And I think he realizes it's a process. And in order for him to reach the goal that he set out when he first purchased the team, it's not going to be an overnight thing. If he if he thought that all of his goals would be achieved by signing Bauer and signing Springer and trading for Lindor, he would have 100% done it. Because if the owners were scared that he was going to throw money around carelessly, they had their, they had their opportunity to stop it. They they could have they could have voted him out, but they didn't because the amount of money he was paying for the Mets kind of reinforce the fact that every franchise has value, even with a pandemic shortened season with no fans and all the loss of money. So they had their opportunity. So I really don't think he's not trying to ruffle feathers. I just think that he doesn't think that him doing that would be a responsible move in order to achieve any level of long-term sustained success here. By the way, Austin Rivers just drilled another step back three. The guy's out of his mind. He's unconscious right now. But uh, look, I, I, I still, I still, uh, I still feel like that has some merit. I really do. I feel like he's not going to spend this money uh, recklessly and piss off any of these owners. I really do. 
But you know what? I, that that if he did that, that would be shame on him, though, because if if it if he thought that it would make the team better, and he put making the team better as the secondary option and put his priority is not getting other owners ticked off, then I think that that's a bad job out of him. Because like I said, they, if the owners had an issue with the money that he was bringing in when everybody else lost money, they had an opportunity to stop it, and they didn't. So the owners kind of made their bed by welcoming him into the fraternity. So I think okay, that he so, should be able to so do whatever he wants. If that's the case, then why don't we have George Springer on our team yet? Well, because like I said, I, th- I firmly think that he's sitting back and he's saying, okay, I want Springer. And he wants $150 million. But let's be real here. If there's no other suitors out there for him, why in the world would I pay the $150 million? If there's no other interest or no other teams that's going to be able to pony up and offer him that amount of money, then I can get away with giving him $130 million. And guess what? That's $20 million extra dollars that I could spend elsewhere and, and I could spend here and use in this department and this and that. Right, but you but you're telling me in one in one facet you're saying, oh, it doesn't matter. He doesn't care. He's, he'll spend recklessly. He wants sustained success. He wants to build a winner. It would be irresponsible for him not to spend the money. Why not just spend it and end all the speculation about Springer? Because right now, Met fans, you see them all over social media, all over Twitter. They're all going nuts that we haven't signed anybody yet. Meanwhile, you did sign some players. You signed McCann. You, uh, we, we signed uh, uh, Trevor May. We signed Marcus Stroman back again. So, you know. But that's the problem with the New York fans is that people got too excited as if this was going to be an overnight thing. The Mets have already made more moves than any other team in the league has done. And this team already is in a better spot than they were last season. So, you know, to take the moves that they've made so far at face value and they've become a better team because of those moves. He wasn't going to go out and sign everyone right away because he's a, at the end of the day, even though he has more money than anybody else, uh, he's not just going to throw it at the wall when he doesn't need to. He no, can afford it, to do it if he really wanted to, but he doesn't need to. And he what? doesn't. He said that he doesn't want to go ridiculously over the luxury tax because, again, that's irresponsible. Right, but again, if you're telling me he 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 wants to, he wants sustained sustained success, he wants to have a winner, blah 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 blah. Then just go spend the money. What do you care? For? What do you even care about luxury tax? Why care then? Just go spend the. I'm telling you, he's holding back. Because he does not want to set a precedent with any of these players in this sort of a, a, a situation with this pandemic, with all these teams losing that much money. And you're seeing teams like the Cubs having to dump salaries. Teams like the Cubs having to dump salaries. Nobody else is spending. Not even the Yankees want to spend, for God's sake. Not even the Yankees want to spend. You know, so I, I kind of think he's holding back a little bit. I really, really do. I yeah, really but- See, that's the you brought up the Yankees. That's a reason why I don't think that that has merit because the Yankees still they didn't lose any money. They just didn't make as much as they normally make. So they have the money to go out there and spend frivolously if they wanted to, but they don't want to because the market hasn't really present hasn't really developed at all yet. And so they're not gonna they're not gonna set the market. But they're not reporting that. They're reporting the fact that the Yankees did lose money last season. And yeah, of course they're gonna lose money. Who's not going to lose money? The, the Yankees payroll? Of course you're going to lose money. With no fans in the stands? Of course they lost a ton of money, the Yankees. Not only do you lose money just on the field with the plays, you're losing money with, 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 with sales of concessions, with sales of, of hats and jerseys and sweatshirts and T-shirts and all crap, all Yankee shit. Of course you're going to be losing money. 
Yeah, you know, but the, you know, the, the amount of money that they make from their TV deals, yeah, that you got to remember, though, losing money. It, it, what does losing money mean, though? Does losing money mean that your expenses were more than your revenues? It, or does losing money mean that your profit, your net profit was not as big as it was? Answer this question. It wasn't about a net profit being a big as it was. They just lost money. They were in the minus column. They weren't in no sort of column where, oh, well, we expected to make $100 million, but we only made $50 million this year. It's not like that where they said, okay, well, our, projected, our projection of, of, of making $100 million is only $50 million, so what kind of $50 million on the downside? No, they lost money. They lost money. If this was three, four, five years ago, you think DJ Lemayhu is still out there for the taking with the Yankees, or is he signed by now? No, under normal circumstances, he's probably signed. But again, the Yankees, the Yankees do not want to go over the luxury tax, right? And they're not going to, they're not going to set the market themselves. I, I, I get, I get that, I get that. But you know what, what Mayhew's value is, and you know the fact that he does want to come back and be a Yankee. He's already, he's, he stated that that he wants to be a Yankee. So the Yankees, in normal circumstances, would have signed him. He would, he would have been gone by now. He would have okay, been but then, but then on the on the flip side of that equation, if you're DJ LeMayu and you know that the Yankees actually lost money, and you want to go back, wouldn't you have taken the offer that they've given you? Uh because if you're saying that the Yankees were in the minus and they've given you an offer and they they lost money, so they're not willing to spend like they once were. Do we know yeah, you should offer? sit back and say, "Listen, this offer is not getting any higher, so I might as well just take it because I want to go back here." We don't know what the offer is. You know what I mean? We don't know what the offer is. Yeah, that's true. How do we know what the offer is? Well, we know it's lower than what he's asking for because it's re- it's been reported that they're apart. The actual figures have not been announced, but it's been reported that they're apart. They're not as I mean, high as LeMayu is. We offer him three years, seventy-five million, and he wants five years and one hundred and twenty-five million. You know, so I mean, that's a significant gap if that's the case. I'm just. I'm only saying that. That's just a hypothetical. But I, I, I'm just saying that because if they were anywhere close to what LeMahieu was looking for, even within a five to ten million dollar range, LeMahieu would probably take it. Why? Why not? Especially if you want to be a Yankee, that's where you want to be. So, you know, I, I, I just, I just feel like, I feel like. The, you're going to see a waiting game. It's almost, it's almost like you're you're playing that that stare down game, you know, between the player and owner once again. And look, I understand that you know you don't want to be bidding against each other, but at the same time, I mean, you know, if I'm the Mets, I would get this spring of thing done already. Get it done. Just get it done. You know, you want him. You know, you you know he's a perfect fit for you. Get it done already. Yeah, I just I don't know if I would go to 150 million though. I don't know if he's worth that 150 million. And then maybe the Mets are looking at it the same way. Maybe it doesn't have anything to do with the owners. Maybe they're just saying, "Look, we want this guy, but at 30 million dollars a year, even under normal circumstances where everyone was spending money, I don't think he's worth that much." I really don't. I like Springer. He's a really good player, and I would love for him to be the center fielder on this team. At 30 million dollars a year, I don't I don't think that that's responsible. I don't think he's worth that much. Same how I didn't think Real Muto was worth the money that he wanted. And I don't think that Bauer is worth the money that he wanted. And now you add the pandemic into the mix. 
You know, and I said this too. I know we've said this before too. Steve Cohen is not going to allow the Mets to be used as a bargaining chip because they have more money than anyone else. So that might be another part of it too, where he's trying to play hardball with these players, knowing that if he doesn't play hardball, he's going to be used by these players and by these agents. And he doesn't want that. He's never going to be used. He'll never be you. He'll never be in that position to be used. He'll, he'll never be in that position to be used. I don't think. Well, Steve if, well, if he went the route of signing all these guys already, then he would. Uh, I don't he, know. No, I'm not saying, I'm not saying he would give in and give all these guys contracts, but well, what's you the know, whole thing? if you, if you go out and you sign Springer right away, let's say, let's say as soon as free agency open, they signed McCann, they signed Springer, they signed Bauer. Well then guess what? What you run yourselves into is a scenario in which every single player, oh, Masahiro Tanaka, he gets one year, 15 million. His agent picks up the phone, calls Steve Cohen. Hey, Tanaka's getting offered one year, 15 million. Can you do better than that? And then Paxton gets a one year contract and Paxton's agent calls up. Steve Cohen. Hey, can you do more than that? That's what he sets himself up for. Uh, listen, when you have that sort of money, you're always going to set yourself up for that. It's always going to happen. It, it, look, there's always going to be the agent that's always going to come back to the team with the most money to spend. That's going to come to them and say, "Hey, you got an you, you got an offer for us." They're always gonna they're always gonna circle back to the team with money. It, look, you you have the right to say no. We're not interested. Well, no, we're not spending that sort of money and walk away, right? You know, what, you know what the crazy part about this is, too? And I meant to bring this up before when you first mentioned it. How much money he brought in this this year? $1.6 billion himself, personally. That's how much yeah. he brought in. Yeah. You know that his hedge fund's profits only went up about, I mean, only. It's a significant jump. But when you're talking about that amount of money, the hedge fund's profits only went up by 7%, meaning that, you know, he's bringing in about a billion dollars personally per year, no matter what. Wow. So the $2.4 billion he spent on his team was basically just like he opened up his wallet and said, hey, let's see how much money I have on me here. Is this good enough? <laughs> like, like, that's how much money this guy makes. It's insane. It is. Listen, it's, it is insane. I mean, it's an insane amount of money, but hey, God bless him. But we'll, look, look, we'll see. But I, I just... I mean, they're projecting now that you might not see any movement until late February, until late uh, January, February. You know. Yeah. Well, we were saying, oh, McCann sign. Maybe that'll start moving things. And then we said, oh, maybe after Thanksgiving. And then we said, oh, maybe after Christmas. Maybe after New Year's. And now we're saying, yeah, maybe February. We all projected <laughs> the contract that McCann would get, and that's and that's what the contract was. And McCann right. said it for himself as well as his agent and said, hey, okay, this is. Pretty much what we were looking for, or somewhat close to it, you know. Let's let's not wait this out here, and that's what happened. So, you know, from all accounts, you're seeing the whole Springer thing. It's coming down to the to the Mets and Blue Jays. Yeah, but you know what? I was kind of I was actually kind of surprised that McCann. Now that I think about it, I was kind of surprised that the McCann thing happened as quickly as it did because. I would have figured because his price tag was lower than Real Muto that anybody who's interested in a catcher would contact Real Muto. Obviously, he's the best free agent out there. And once they saw his price and they would say, ah, let's circle back to McCann, I would think that he would probably have more suitors because he was the cheaper option. And that one got nipped in the butt right away, which was a little surprising. But, I mean, the Mets got their guy. They wanted him. They went out and got him. I think that's a significant upgrade. And, you know, we'll see what happens with Springer. But I, I, think, I think they need to go get him. I think they need to get him. You can't go into this season with Brandon Nemo as your center fielder or Jake no. Marisnik. You can't. It can't happen. No, 
you absolutely cannot do that. Uh, you know, the, and and from all accounts, and listen, it would destroy the fan base if if they didn't get George Springer. To be honest with you, and I, and I kind of think the only thing that the agent is thinking is, hey, the Mets need us here. You know, <laughs> you know, they need you. The fan base wants you. The fan base is expecting you. So let's wait this out. Right. I, I mean, so. I mean, but what's going to happen in the long run? What if the Blue Jays increase their offer? And all of a sudden now you get into a bidding war with the Blue Jays. Go out, make the offer, bring them home. That's it. I'm not saying I give them $150 but if he wants $125, here. Here's my – like I told you this last time, five years, $125 take it or leave it. And you know what? That's why I think that that the Blue Jays are being used as a ploy for a guy like Springer and a guy like LeMayhew. The Blue because Jays I, want him, though. It's not like they don't want him. No, not that they don't want him, but I don't think that players are interested. They don't even know where they're playing their home games. Why would I sign up for a long-term contract to play with them when there's so much uncertainty? I mean, I don't know what's going through these players' heads, but me personally, I wouldn't want to commit long-term to somewhere where I don't even know where they're playing their home games or what city they're going to be stationed in or what the future holds as, as, as long as COVID-19 is a thing. So I'm thinking from the players and the agents, from their perspective, they're using the Blue Jays' interest as a bargaining chip. That's that's what I think, because I really don't think that DJ LeMahieu is interested in playing there, especially if he wants to be a Yankee, which all reports point to him wanting to be a Yankee. I don't see him having any interest in the Blue Jays, and I don't think I see any interest in Springer to play for the Blue Jays either. And, and from all you hear, that they've actually offered him a contract. Which I don't get either because the reports are saying that the Blue Jays offered him an aggressive contract, but it was well below the $150 million that he was asking for. So how does that constitute as an aggressive push? Well, well below the $150 million. So is it $120 million? Is it $125 million? Is it $105 million? Is it $90 million? You know, they, all, they ever, all they ever said was it's, it's well below. Right, but they also said in the same breath that it was aggressive. Like, what makes it aggressive if it's well below Springer's asking price? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, like I, that's, I, you know. That's strange to me. I, I don't know, but like I said, if if I'm Steve Cohen, I get this wrapped up. I don't let this sit here and linger. Because you well, need— You know what? I'm, if I'm Steve Cohen, I get this wrapped up because we're, we're running out of baseball topics to talk about on Four Score the Podcast. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that too, for God's sake. But you know, I, mean, I know really. the same thing. We keep saying the same thing. You know, oh, we want Springer on the Mets, and when yeah. it comes to Lemayhew, I think he's going to resign. But like, nothing's going on here. Come on, there's nothing going on with the Mets. There's nothing going on with the Yankees. Again, you know, the Mets did have some signings last month. The Yankees really haven't done anything. They brought in what Greg Allen today. You know, the Padres had released him off the forty-man roster, so. Yankees bring in another outfielder with a little semblance of speed, but that's about it. You know, as far as the Yankees, no, no movement on Tanaka. Certainly, no well, movement I, on I, I, I do actually think that Greg Allen has somewhat big implications for the Yankees. I think it just solidifies the fact that Brett Gardner is not coming back. I think that Greg Allen kind of takes Gardner's spot on that roster. Uh, yeah. Huh? Uh, well, I don't know because they have Talkman too. They have the left-handed bat. Now they got the speed. Why, yeah, would they I mean, need to, why would they need Gardner? I mean, they already they already didn't pick up the player option. I mean, it, they weren't going to pay him $10 million regardless. But now that they get a guy like Allen for cheap, I wonder if they bring back Gardner at all. I don't think they do. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're right. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. So, it's interesting. But it's interesting. 
Well, listen, we have to, uh, we'll, we'll tease a guest that we're going to have on soon. We haven't set the date yet, but we are going to have Tommy Lochran, our good buddy, on, and we're going to talk draft. Um, once the playoffs come to a close, I would imagine is when we're going to get in full NFL draft mode. And if you listen to the episodes last year, we had Tommy on. I mean, he's as on the money as it comes when it comes to his mock drafts. I mean, he watches these guys religiously. He, he can find talent in the seventh round, Tommy. He really should. So we actually were people joking the other day that yeah, the NFL has the, the Rooney rule to encourage these teams to, to hire more minority head coaches or assistant coaches. We were saying that the NFL should implement the Lockwood law where they have to listen to Tommy Lockwood's mock draft before <laughs> yeah. they draft any of their players because he's on the money with all of his talent evaluations. He really is. We were in communication with Tommy today and he might be getting us another guest, but it looks like it might come to fruition. We won't name names yet until no. we see what's going to go on, but you know, this would be a pretty good name for us to, uh, to add here to come on with Tommy. And I told Tommy, you know, we get a, get this person on. We'll, we'll, we'll do a, a baseball uh, um, preview and, and then bring them back for uh, for the NFL draft preview as well. So and and this person who again we're going to keep a secret for now. Yeah. But this person, and I don't understand why, but he's insisting that if he were to come on, it would ruin everything we have. I don't think he's given himself enough credit. He's an extremely talented individual. He is extremely talented, and we both like him a lot. Uh, he is on TV, so but we'll just leave it at that. That's um, it. So do your guessing. Yeah, do your guessing. That's your but, homework assignment for the week, boys and yeah, girls. Yeah, going to try and make that happen. He said, he goes, I, I'll make that happen. So <laughs> the guy, the guy's actually listened to our podcast. He enjoys the podcast as well, So, which is a good thing. And, and he's a good all-around guy, and, and, and he's good at what he does. So that'll be, that'll be a lot of fun if, if that all comes together. And, and it'll, certainly, uh, it'll certainly make for a, a really, really interesting and, and fun podcast. So Absolutely. I look, to, I look forward to that. So Absolutely. Right, we'll and and you know what you know what would be good? Actually, you know what? No, I'm I'm gonna keep it under. I'm not even gonna say it because that would give even more clues as to who this gentleman is. So I'm I'm just gonna leave it at that. And we're gonna close out the episode on that note. So I'll keep you guessing even more. See, I tease you, I reel you in, and then I leave you with uncertainty. It's a cliffhanger. It's like watching the season finale of a TV show. Wow. You don't you know, know what's you know, coming next. You know what we're doing, you know, like they do on uh, in radio, they do the tease. They do the tease. They do the tease. And that's what we're and, doing. We're teasing. We're teasing everybody right now. And and what does the tease do? It makes you not turn the dial. It makes you stay on the station until they come exactly. back from the commercial. Where in, well, in our sense, it's more like a TV show because you're going to have to wait a whole week. So people are going to be sitting all week. They're going to go to work, not going to be able to concentrate. They're going to watch the playoff games this weekend. And in the back of their mind the whole time, they're just going to say, God damn, who the hell was that potential guest that they were talking about? On four score the podcast. It's gonna keep people up at night. Yeah. It would keep me up. Yeah, you're a what are you, fifty-seven? You could sleep through a horse race. You got you gotta age me right now. What do you gotta age me for? Like, well, you gotta throw my age out there. What's the difference how old I am? Well, I was just kind of throwing it out there. It well, wasn't yeah, it wasn't kinda, an insult. You kind of discriminated against me right there. What are you, fifty-seven? <laughs> well, no, I was just confirming. I didn't want to say the wrong age. <laughs> Would you have rather me said 67? No, I'd just rather not say my age. Just, Listen, you know. I've already complimented you in the past that you play flag football with a bunch of 20-year-olds, so you're in peak condition yeah, and you're keeping yourself young. So age is actually just a number when it comes to you. That's not getting any easier. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, so you can you can follow Rob on Twitter. I have your your handle down pat. It's Rob OG six. I finally have that down. At so Rob OG six. Yeah, at you Rob can, OG six. I don't follow. know if that makes a difference. What the hell do I know? Uh, I I really doesn't even make a difference. I kind of just say it out of habit. And if you haven't followed Rob, he's a good follow. He uh he ripped into Doug Peterson on Twitter and he did say that uh, he hopes the entire or Giants organization comes out and kicks ass next year and doesn't forget about oh, what, that's the what they got to do. Listen, you you want revenge? Go out and whip their asses. And I'll tell you what, if that game is 40 to 7 in the fourth quarter, I am still scoring on them. You know, that's it. I, I agree I'm with going you. After them. I'm going You know after what I said? Them. I when I cuz I I sent a text to you and Tommy in a group after that happened and I voiced my opinion. And Tommy responded and I didn't get a response from you. And I said, okay, one of two things. One, he is 57 years old, so maybe he's sleeping. But two, <laughs> maybe he's just too pissed off to give a response. And then I saw what you said on Twitter, and it, t- it did two things for me. I said, wow, I was right. He was pissed. And two, I said, you know what? That's a great tweet. He's finally getting the hang of this Twitter thing. That's a great tweet. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I was never really like angry, angry when I seen what was going on in real time with this whole Sudfeld thing. I really wasn't. And again, I had my cousin text me. He's a big giant fan. My friend Mike texted me. He's a big giant fan. And they were going ballistic. And I kind of was like, hey, this is what happens when, when, when you're not in control of your own destiny. This is a lesson to be learned. You need to win games in the NFL. You can't rely on anybody else. The Eagles owe us nothing. And that was one of the tweets that I did said. I said, hey, the Eagles owe us nothing. I get it. I get it. But the it's the integrity of the game. And I can only hope that karma comes back and bites them in their asses. That's it. They owe us nothing. you got to take care of your own business no matter what sport it's in, in any facet of life. Take care of it yourself. The best thing you could have is control. You control the situation. You don't let anybody else control it. And this is what happens. So right. look, lesson learned. Take care of your business next year and win that extra game that's going to be the deciding factor of whether or not you control your fate or another team has to control your fate. It's that simple. That right. simple. I agree. And you know what? It's a, it's a, it's a meaningful lesson for this team. I mean, not that they were going into any of these games thinking that they didn't have to win, but it's a, it's a meaningful lesson to any team. Any team could see this and say, "Hey, this could be us next year." Right. You know, hey, like I said, it's not like the Giants went into any of these games this year thinking that they didn't need to win, but it serves as a as a healthy reminder that they do need to win. Like it's more of an emphasis on winning every single game that's on your schedule because when it comes down to it and you have to rely on other teams for help, 9 times out of 10, it's not going to work out. Now, is are you going to run into situations where teams purposely tank the game like that? Probably not. But it just serves as a reminder that it's better to rely on yourself than having to rely on other people. Hell, I went through the same thing a couple years ago with the Steelers. They they started off the season 0-4. I think it was 2014, maybe. What was oh, Ryan Fitzpatrick's oh, oh, oh. last year with the Jets? You that? Oh, did you see that? What? That L- Wow. I'm watching the Creighton-Gonzaga game right now. The guy just took a shot from the three-point wow. line. Banked off. I should hang. I should hang up on Skype with you right now. Bank off the back of the rim. It like kind of wiped the toilet around the rim. Wiped the toilet. The ball wiped the toilet and spun out right before halftime. Wow. You know what? You're just a bad guy. That's what that is. That's just that's just you being a bad guy. (laughs) 
I figured the last time I was trying to talk steel is this what you interjected. So why not? Hey, you know what? I kind of had that in the back of my mind that you were going to try to pull something. <laughs> well, what was, what was the last year that Ryan Fitzpatrick was on the Jets? Was it 2014, 2015? Oh, probably around there. Yeah. 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 So the, the Steelers started off the season 0 and 4, and then they went on a little bit of a run, and they were, um, they were 7 and 8 going into the last week of the season. They needed to win, and the AFC wildcard race was tight. So they were 7 and 8, but still had a chance to make the playoffs. They needed to win. They needed a Houston Texans loss. They needed a New York Jets loss, and they needed a San Diego Chargers loss. If all three of those things happen and Pittsburgh won, they got into the playoffs. So what happens? Pittsburgh wins. The Jets lose. The Texans lose. It gets down to the 430 game, and they're playing the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Kansas City Chiefs at that point were 13-2. and two. They already had the number one seed locked up, home field advantage throughout the postseason. So they rested all their starters. Alex Smith didn't play. Chase Daniel started at quarterback for the Chiefs. So I had no confidence going in. I'm like, the Chiefs are not going to beat these guys. The Chargers are going to win the game. And what ends up happening, the Chiefs actually make a game of it. They're in position to win the game. 38-yard field goal as time expires to win the game, and Ryan Suckup missed it. And they go into overtime, and the Chargers win. And I was so pissed. I was like, suck up, you jerk. I can't believe you, blah, blah, blah. And my dad said, listen, this is what happens when you have to rely on other teams. They were seven, they were eight and eight. They don't deserve to be in the playoffs. Yeah, it was nice they had a chance. But you know what? You started out 0-4. You made your own bed. Now you got to lay in it. And that's, that's it. Now, obviously, these circumstances are a little bit different because they purposely tanked the game. But again, Giants were 6-10. and 10. So it, it, from now on moving forward, you have to learn that we don't need handouts from any other people. We don't need to rely on anybody else's shortcomings in order to make the playoffs. We have to solidify it ourselves. We go out there and take care of business. We'll win a division. And like I said, they got the promise. They're looking like they're going in the right direction. So now with the meaningful experience of playing meaningful games, having another draft to potentially draft some more guys that can contribute, and then learning that lesson of what it's like to get your heart ripped out relying on someone else, I think this was a big learning experience for this team. So the future is bright. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Except, well said. So Robbo G six, that's Rob's Twitter account. Andrew may underscore 21 is my Twitter account. A underscore may 21 is my Instagram account. Follow us on all those platforms. You can shoot your guesses our way about that potential guest. Not going to say whether you're right or wrong, but if you want to do it for fun, go ahead, shoot some guesses. Make sure it comes to light and it seems yes. like it probably will, but we just have to make sure we're a hundred percent on this. Yes, absolutely. Because if we told you who it was and it didn't end up happening, that would make us frauds, and that's not what we're about. Right. You called egg on your face. Yeah, and we're not going to put this guy on the spot either because he's a he's a gentleman. No, 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 absolutely. Never. So no. follow us on social media. We'll be back next week. Um, and again, before we go, just a reminder for our pick segment, we got our point system figured out. We have a one-point play, a two-point play, and a three-point play. So Rob, for his one-point play, has the Browns getting six against the Steelers. He has the Bucks giving eight as his two point. Oh no, he has the Bills, Bills. giving six and a half as his two point play, and Tampa giving eight as his three point play. For me, I have the Rams getting three and a half as my one point play. I have the Washington football team getting eight, so I differ from Rob in that game. That's my two point play, and then I have the Bills um, giving six and a half to to the Colts as my three point play. So we'll see how that point system shakes out. We'll be back next week to break down all the playoff games and look at the schedule moving forward. Hopefully we get a lot more exciting Knicks basketball and maybe just maybe we'll get some movement in the MLB to give us some more topics to talk about. But until then, it's going to be more of the same. So thanks everybody for listening. Everybody stay safe. It's a different calendar year. So 
you know, hopefully things are up from here because I know 2020 was a tough one. But we wish everyone a happy and healthy new year. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Hug your loved ones. And as always, go Steelers this weekend. For Rob Giuffre, I'm Andrew May. See you guys next time.